Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And the Cardinals take game one of the series in San Francisco, the final of five to three. We'll take care of business in both of these, I think, headed into the break. Um, can really kind of spark our club, go, you know, go into the all-star break, get some rest, and come back for a strong second half, which historically, you know, we've always been able to do. All right. Cardinals coming up for a big weekend. Woo! Good work, boys. I'm not applauding that. Cardinals, a big win last night in San Francisco. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I hope you all had a wonderful 4th of July. I know these guys did because I got were... some weird texts over the weekend oh, from them. We got the weird text <laughs> messages. Okay. BK, all right. holiday guys, weekends, BK gets all emotional, everyone. <laughs> all emotional. It was kind of weird. I don't remember Sunday. Did we have a Sunday? Checks out. Sunday did take place. Can't tell you what happened. You are an alcoholic, sir. All I know is that Tanner sent us an empty bottle, and we were like, oh, good for you, man. Congratulations. I don't don't even remember that. Should probably go talk to somebody. I'm guessing that a lot of that was in response to what happened prior to last night for the Cardinals, but, you know, we're going to focus on just last night here for a moment. probably why you started drinking, though, because of the weekend prior to last night. It's fair. So the Cardinals get a big win in San Francisco. I'm curious. Let's start here. As the Cardinals are getting no hit for the first six innings going into the seventh, what's going through your guys' mind? Because I'm thinking, oh, God, are we really going to do this? The Cardinals are going to lose three out of four against Colorado with a couple of walk-offs, and now you're going to have them get no hit against San Francisco, and that's going to be the way we return to the radio on Tuesday. This is is really what we're doing? Actually, more of my thought was the Cardinals are getting no hit by a former Baltimore Oriole pitcher. That was my original thought. Gossman's good. I get it, but like he's he's good. But he, but like he hasn't been his entire career. Oh, hey, Baltimore's good at developing pitchers. Have you not seen what Wade Long has done? That's also actually very true. Whatever that other guy is, it's in the bullpen. Honestly, I don't remember his name. Justin Miller. No, no, he was a national. The other one, Liddell. Oh yeah, so Liddell. No, Bloodell, not Liddell. He's a basketball oh. player. Yeah, Bloodell's good, too. Um, honestly, and, and I wasn't hoping this, but I was thinking, if they were to be no Wad- hit. Waddell, I think. Bloodell? Waddell. No, blah, because his pitches are blah. No, no, he's good. Remember, he was that. developed by Baltimore. Oh, okay. He's fantastic. Sure, he's good. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that usually works out. What, if they were no hit last night, and I know this is hypothetical. We live in a hypothetical world. I live in reality. Would that have been rock bottom? Would there have been a firing after that? Now they've no. already hit rock bottom and Man, they didn't fire anybody. They lost five in a row. Yeah, but you would have just been no hit. That I think that 
might be more embarrassing with that offense than losing the amount of games they lost. Absolutely not. I would argue that. Losing against the Pirates two in a row to start out that series, losing three out of four against Pittsburgh, that that was the low. You just were no hit with Tommy Don't Edmund, care. Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, Paul Gossman's Goldschmidt. Good. The Giants are no. the best team Gossman in baseball. Gossman is a former Orioles pitcher who so, developed pitching well. He's an ERA below two this year. It's an anomaly. It, it, it absolutely is, but you could see it last night. He actually has good stuff. Now, So did KK, and that's an anomaly too. He was good. He was good last night. I I was pretty impressed with what we saw out of KK. Now, the problem is what we saw from the Cardinals prior to last night. Let's go ahead and revisit some of the highlights from the other portion of the weekend. Someone said, wait, haven't we hit rock bottom already? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we we have. Drive to deep left. Take a good look. You won't see it for long. Three run. All right, we get it. Wait, there's more. been Independence Day after a lost. What the hell happened? The only thing we were asking for was for a good weekend in Colorado. I assumed they were going to struggle in San Francisco. Now, maybe it's just going to be reversed. They're going to sweep the Giants, sweep the Cubs, and they're going to go into the All-Star break feeling good. But what the hell, guys? What happened? Well, um, Cardinals offense happened. Their pitching was good. Yeah, their offense was not. The pitching in Colorado gave them a chance to win. The Rockies' offense has been great at Colorado so far this year. At home, they've been awesome. Why why can't the Cardinals score runs whenever they're at mile high? I don't understand. Isn't that supposed to help you offensively, not hurt you? Don't ask for too much. You know, they can... I can only do so little. In all reality, like, you, I kind of went into that series expecting the outcome that we received. Really? Yeah. Against the Rockies? Rocky, we said it. The Rockies are actually playing well, especially at home. Yeah, but you know the part that was... If more- I told you going into it that the Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals pitching would allow three, 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 and five runs in the four-game series, you would have felt pretty good about them at least winning two, two or three of those games, right? I don't think so. Not after, yeah. not yeah. after the way the offense had played going into that. I mean, look, in 15 games, the Cardinals have had two games where they've scored four or more runs in their last 15 before the seventh inning. So, I mean, it's like real specific here, but like your offense doesn't show up until that what was a we very saw. Baseball stat. Thank you very much. In it was an expected win run percentage. Prior to the seventh inning, they've scored. Hey, man. Two runs or more. I mean, I don't know what you two do on your weekends, but I do research. I look into the numbers. I go expectant percentage series plus minus ratio. I'll just say it. I drink. That's very true. You're an alcoholic. But no, like you've had two games in 15 and those teams in those 15 games have not been good. You've had two games where you scored more than four runs before the seventh inning. The game. So basically you're struggling to score against starters. You're yeah, you're struggling. You're scoring runs. I mean, look at the Colorado game. You scored nine, but essentially you scored three until you got into extras. Yeah. Right. Like you got the free base runner last night against San Francisco. You couldn't score on Gossman. And then once you get deeper into the game, that's where you start to score the runs and you should be able to exploit bullpens. That's what you want. 
But taking on a Colorado Rockies team, I kind of expected that outcome because this team has not been able to score runs early. They're taking advantage of opportunities late, which is good. But you can't thrive off of that. That's not how you win baseball games late into the season. So we are officially done with this 20-game stretch. It's over. The Cardinals didn't do as well as expected. They stunk. They were 500 at least, right? Stink, stank, stunk. They weren't good. Dang. Where are we at now? Let's reset the Cardinals season. You're 42 and 44. According to fan graphs, you have a roughly 2% chance of making the postseason. You hey, are- that went up from last time, didn't it? It's right around the same. Oh, okay. You're nine games back of the Milwaukee Brewers who have been on a heater of late. The Cubs stink. They're falling right back down to where you're at. The Reds have been much better of late. If you want to look at the wild card standings, we can do that as well. You are seven and a half games back of the Padres for the second and final wild card spot. The real saving grace here is you have a bunch of games against the Brewers in the final month of the season. So if you're within shouting distance, The final month, you're going to have your chance to be able to make your move there, but it's going to require the Cardinals to play much better baseball than they have of late. The only teams in the National League so far this year with a worse run differential than your St. Louis Cardinals were the Colorado Rockies and the Arizona Diamondbacks. You are 12th out of 15 in the National League when it comes, or excuse me, the Pirates. Pirates are there as well. You're 11th out of 15 in terms of your run differential on the year. Where do we stand today, boys? Is this team a buyer, seller, holder going into the trade deadline? And how much do the next does the next week or so play into those decisions? I think they're a buyer, but I think you need to really limit your expectations on the word buyer, because I think a buyer is going to be a minor move like we saw with a Wade LeBlanc, with a Bladell or Waddell or whatever the hell his name is, Justin Miller. You're going to see an addition like that. I don't think you stand pat. And I definitely don't think you sell, especially with the team that you have and you essentially telling this team that you're going to be competitive in 2022. I think they'll buy, but I think you need to limit the expectations on the word buy. I think unless you win four of these six, so against San Francisco and the Cubs, you're off to a good start. Every time we put expectations on these games like this, it usually goes the opposite direction. That's what's happened all year for this Cardinals team. Well, if that's the case, if you go 500 in this stretch, to me, just hold. You can't buy, especially looking at this team. You can't give up any assets to quote-unquote win now when this team doesn't look like it's going to make the playoffs. They're nine games back of Milwaukee. Don't be shocked if they're double digits back by the time we get to the All-Star break. Totally in play, especially with what they have on their schedule remaining. I don't... What are you selling? I was listening to Carriker and Smallman earlier today, and they did a take it or leave it on whether or not KK or Andrew Miller are going to be here after the deadline. What are you getting for Andrew Miller? Hey, if KK keeps pitching like that, you might be able to get something. Yeah, but then who's going to start for you? Ah, How are you getting innings? What's Bladell do? Waddell. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Waddell? The Cardinals don't have a lot to offer that they're not going to be counting on moving forward. Well, you're saying people don't want carp? Exactly. Wow. I mean, someone came through yesterday. If you want to trade Andrew Miller, go for it. But you're not getting anything of significance in return. If you want to trade KK, I don't know what you're doing in your rotation, but that seems pretty fragile after that. I think the Cardinals are holding. I don't know how you buy unless something dramatically changes. This team's just not good enough right now. And I've been the guy that all season long has said, wait, wait, wait. I think they're going to be able to get this. Wait, what are we waiting for now? We just saw them in 20 straight games against losing teams have a losing record against losing teams. 
So unless they dramatically shift their own trajectory, unless they start doing what they did last night and beating better teams than them, I have no reason if I'm John Mosaylock to go out there and make any sort of big, significant seismic shift in what the roster is right now. The only way you could do that is selling, and this roster just isn't constructed in a way that's conducive to selling at the deadline. No, I don't think you sell. I, I think you find a piece that's out there to help, whether it's just a, a minor bullpen piece that you can just add an arm that can add innings for you, or maybe it is a starter that goes under the radar and he becomes real cheap. There's something out. There's going to be something out there for Mo that you don't have to give up much with, but I think it all comes down to how you show the front office between now and the trade deadline. And look, if you find a way to beat San Francisco in the series, we all know they're probably going to beat the Cubs. Although I probably shouldn't give them too much credit for that one, even though the Cubs do stink right now. Yeah, the Cubs are a mirror image of you. But you so. got, and that's never good to play those teams. But you got seven against the Cubs. You got six against the Giants. Then you got the Reds, Indians, and Twins. Those are all really competitive teams. I think you have to look at probably winning five of those six series before you get to the trade deadline, before you absolutely look at doing something. But there's no, there's nothing to sell. You can't sell. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Guys, I think uh, Mike Schilt just texted in. Oh, good. Oh, well, thank you. From the 21-4. BK, hey, the Cardinals are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Give them a little bit of credit. Wait, what? That was totally Mike Schilt. <laughs> Wait, until mean, the Cardinals are nearly 500, a little bit better than 500 in their last 10, we should give them credit? They're 5-3 and three in their last 8, and they're 6-4 and four in their last 10. If you want to focus on that, by all means, go for it. You know where I will give credit? Where credit is due? The starting pitchers. The pitching's been better. The starting pitching is like a sub two ER in their last eight games. And the Cardinals pitching overall in this stretch has basically been league average. If you would have told me when they had all those guys go down to injury that this they would be able to stay at league average, I would have signed up and hit that button as quick as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Problem is the offense. <laughs> I was going to say, the problem is the area that we all thought was going to be better than what it is. Yeah, the problem is that you scored two, nine, although three before extra innings, Two and two runs against the Colorado Rockies. It's unacceptable. Do you want my specific stat again for you? Because it's a really specific. (laughs) Expected win percentage plus minus ratio. Defensive scores run. ERA plus war. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Want to get his thoughts on what was a really entertaining uh, game four last night in the Stanley Cup final. By the way, you'll hear game five right here on 101 ESPN tomorrow night. Pre-game for that beginning at 630. Coming up next, Harrison Bader. I did not think he was going to come back and be a significant contributor offensively. I, once again, was wrong. And of course, Harrison Bader has been a huge impact offensively. We'll talk about his return next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. just a great sign because he's really good against lefties and he's been able to be more um, selective against righties and now it's just being able to be ready on a pitch in the zone and just put a good swing Bader deep left it's at the wall it is gone it's a home run his second in the series grand slam tonight 
minutes ago. This one, a two-run shot, and the Cardinals go on top in this Independence Day. We've got to carry it. Everybody just do their piece, and if Harrison can do that consistently, it'd be a big part of our offense. Harrison Bader has been a legitimate contributor offensively, just as we all expected since his return to the lineup. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Guys, Bader was a big boost for this offense, and the power is what's been really surprising to me. The power in particular, as Tanner has noted a number of times, against righties and against breaking balls is what has been a complete change from what we've seen the vast majority of his career. We saw that once again over the weekend, a huge grand slam for them. Harrison Bader's a winning baseball player. He's a guy that when he is on the field, the Cardinals are better as a result of it. He's great defensively. He does help you offensively. This is now uh, his last 75 games offensively for the Cardinals. He's been an above league average hitter. Harrison Bader is a significant contributor for this team. And I think I may have underestimated what he meant offensively to this team whenever he was out. Yeah, people are going to despise you for what you just said, but unfortunately I'm kind of agreeing with you on this one. Um, before he was injured back in May, I mean, he was a key component of that offense. 100%. He had 11 out of 15 games where he had a hit, maybe multiple hits. He was scoring runs. He was contributing at the bottom of the lineup. And what have we always talked about? Even when the offense is struggling, the bigger portion that really struggles is the bottom of that order. Once you get past Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, that's where the question marks really start to come in. And Harrison Bader was a guy who finally would at least put some pressure on opposing pitchers and defenses with his speed. So the team was winning when Harrison Bader was healthy. And as soon as he went down and Jack Flaherty went down, that's when all of the losing really started. Hopefully this corrects it. Now you've had him back since the beginning of July and we all know what happened against the Colorado Rockies, but hopefully his presence kind of adds a boost to the team because regardless of you believing he's a good player or not a good player, he helps your defense. He helps the bottom of your order and he brings speed to the lineup, which I think is always a threat with this team. Yeah, he brings speed to the lineup. He brings the great defense out in the outfield. And I thought his defense looked pretty good in his return over the weekend. But he also provides a little bit of power to the bottom of the lineup, yeah. too. And and I, that's what I really like. If he hits, two, he's hitting 226 right now, but he's got an OPS of 739, OPS plus 106. He's got six home runs. Already more home runs than he hit all of last year. And he has fewer at-bats than he did last year so far in the 60-game season. So... That power at the bottom of the lineup, sure, you don't have a whole lot of faith that he's maybe going to get on base and be a single machine, but he's a guy that he can take a mistake and he can put it in the stands, and that's huge for this lineup. Harrison Bader has kind of become the player that we thought Paul DeYoung was going to be. Like It's a weird way, and I didn't expect it to happen, um, but Harrison Bader is a low batting average, relatively low on base percentage, but high power type of a guy that adds energy at the bottom of your order, and he also brings... Potentially gold glove defense in the center field, which is a hugely valuable to sit, uh, position defensively. And oh, by the way, he had some stolen base presence for your lineup as well. He can go first to third on a single. He can potentially go first to home on on a, a gapper. He's a guy that adds a little bit of energy, a little bit of a spark. And you can feel that when he is in the game, especially when he's been getting some of these big hits, whether it was the RBI knock that he had, the grand slam. There is an energy that he brings that this team sorely missed because there was a stretch probably in, I'd say mid-June, whenever they were going through some of that that dry spell, especially offensively, where it was just blah baseball. 
there was it felt like they needed somebody to just get him going a little bit. And I thought there would be some of that with Nolan Arenado, and there has been. But he's more intense than he is energy, if that makes sense in a strange way. Harrison Bader plays with a pizzazz, a flair, an energy that is hard to replicate throughout that lineup. And I think that's something that they missed desperately while he was not in the lineup. They need more. They need more guys to be able to step up. It can't just be him. And over the weekend, while I did think he was pretty good, he was also five for 20. He had <laughs> 250 in the series. So it was, and he got on base like six times total in the series. It, it wasn't as if he was this overwhelming presence offensively, but he was helpful. He was a piece in the bottom of your order that allowed you to lengthen that lineup a bit. And that's been an issue for the Cardinals for the last five years, really, but especially this season when they've gone through so many struggles offensively. Yeah. And look, uh, he's a prototypical eight place hitter hitter. I mean, I don't need him to be a 260, 270 hitter right now. You got five guys that are underperforming in that area. That's who you need to be performing there. Harrison Bader needs to be the answer at the bottom. Harrison Bader needs to be the answer that Edmundo Sosa has been for this team at short periods of time. That's a great comp. That yep. Justin Williams was at the beginning of the season, the bat where he started to heat up. He needs to be that that addition to a lineup that can kind of continue the force on the pitching staff, if that makes any sense. Like, you need Carlson. You need Goldschmidt. You need Arenado. You need O'Neill. You need Edmund. You need those five guys on a consistent basis to be hitting 260, 270, 280, maybe closer to 290. That's what their role is. Harrison Bader just needs to get on base for you. Harrison Bader needs to be that guy in the clubhouse that has everyone going. Remember Dexter or Dexter Fowler in 2016 in the rain delay in the World Series? It was like, hey, guys, we're still in this. And everyone credits Dexter to the World Series championship. That's what Harrison Bader needs to be for this team. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 636. Guys, you said the same thing about Bader whenever he came off the aisle and sparked the team in May as well. Yeah, because it continues to surprise me how much they need him. Um, and, and I'm I'm the Harrison Bader fan from this group. I'm the one that said if he has a good season this year, the Cardinals should look to re-sign yeah. him long term. Ten years, $100 million is what you said. That's not what I said exactly. Um, I, I like Harrison Bader. I think he's a valuable piece to what the Cardinals are trying to build. I am also consistently amazed by how much they lean on Harrison Bader. Because when you look up and down the lineup, they shouldn't need his presence in the lineup as much as they seem to. I mean, you... Dylan Carlson, you named him, Alex. Carlson, Edmund, uh, O'Neal, DeYoung, Arenado, Goldie, all of those guys should be more important to this team offensively than what Harrison Bader brings to the table. And when Bader's not out there, they shouldn't lose all that much offensively, frankly. he's That's not his game. He's, he's a contributor, but he is not an all-star offensively. His value is what he brings to you defensively, and he calms things down out there, and there are plays every night that he makes look easy that are not easy. And when Carlson's in center and you've got, whether it be Edmund or whoever's in right on any given night, Newt Barr when he was out there, those plays just don't always get made. Bader makes that look easy. That's where his value is. That's why he's a winning player. But it does surprise me sometimes just how much they need him. And it, I think that's been on display, whether it be this time coming back from the IL or when he came back in May, whatever it is, it's pretty clear um, that they needed him. By the way, we've got a few texters that say the 65780 is Air Comfort Service Sex Sign. It was Jason Hayward, not Dexter Fowler, but we all knew what you were getting. Regardless, there, it was the Cubs outfielder that gave a pump, a pep, <laughs> tea, a, bep, a pep talk in the clubhouse. Either way, if it's Dexter Fowler or G- Jason Hayward, 
none of those two are really starting third outfielders. They're kind of on the on the line of being a third outfielder. We saw what you were saying. And a bench bat. We saw what you were saying. Moral of the story, the Cardinals needed Harrison Bader. It was nice to see him back out there over the weekend. I did want to give one other guy's roses because Alex Reyes deserves all of the praise that he's getting right now. He was officially named over the weekend to this year's All-Star Game. He's the first Cardinals reliever to make that team since Trevor Rosenthal in 2015. Man, when you look back at what he has overcome to get to where he is today, whether it be making his debut in 2016 and then getting injured and missing all of 2017 because of Tommy John, pitching four innings in 2018 before an injury ruined his season once again, pitching three innings in the major in 2019, Last year, finally being able to get up to the majors and help out, but it was during a pandemic shortened season for him to be able to come up this year and be a closer in a new role has never been in before and to dominate the way that he has. You you can't help but feel so damn good for a guy that has been through so much. That's the on-field part of it. Also with his daughter and the diagnosis that she had and her overcoming. Like this, this has been a hell of a five-year stretch to be able to get to where he is today. And I wanted to give a ton of credit to him, to the Cardinals for sticking with him, for him to be able to officially get the credit that he deserves this year. Yeah, and hopefully it continues to go north for him too. Um, I mean, he's always been a great guy in the clubhouse, too. When we were allowed in there, when I was covering the team, doing pre and post for the Cardinals, like he was always a guy who was willing to speak, whether it was an injury and he was up for just some rehab stuff or if he was just basically a scratch player with the team on a, on a postseason run. He was always a guy uh, who loved being around his teammates. Teammates loved being around him. Um, and hopefully this continues to grow for him because I know he has goals and had goals of being a starting pitcher, and hopefully it's going to get to that point, but for right now, I think he should flourish the fact that he is one of the best closers in the game right now, and he's going to an all-star game for the first time, which I think is important. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into some questions and answers, but coming up next, talk to our guy Jeremy Rutherford about what he learned last night in a big Stanley Cup game number four, and we're now only a few weeks away from some big-time decisions from the Blues. We'll talk to him about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk with our guy, Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and for The Athletic. We are now about 10 days away from some big-time dates for the Blues. JR, how you doing today, man? Doing well, boys. How you guys doing? Doing really well. So we're looking at, during the break at some of the big, significant uh, deadlines that are coming up. The expansion list is due on July 17th. And based on our understanding, if we're reading this correct, JR, there is then a freeze for trades between the 17th and the expansion draft, which takes place on the 21st. Does that mean we could maybe see some uh, some movement around the league over the next 10 days or so? Yeah, definitely, definitely possible uh, just to be up front, you know, coming back from vacation here. So I'm reaching out, making some phone calls, uh, trying to get in the loop on uh, some certain things, especially with the Blues, because this is going to be a big off season, And some things could happen, you know, I think around the league in the next 10 days. And could we see something happen with the Blues? I think Army is going to have to uh, make moves to prepare for lists that they're going to turn on in on the 17th, and it'll be uh, public at that point. Um, you know, we've taken a guess with the mock 
protected list uh, the past couple months, and uh, you know those things could change based on some of the moves that teams like the Blues uh, make. But everything is upon us. Everything's here. The, the protected list on the 17th that'll be made public right away, and then you'll have the draft on the uh, 21st. You have the amateur draft coming up and free agency. So if you're a Blues fan, these next three or four weeks should uh, see some pretty good movement. It's so interesting the situation that Doug Armstrong's in, JR. And BK and I were just talking during the commercial break. I mean, we were all on kind of an, under the assumption of what this protected list looks like. Defensively, unless there's a move to be made, it makes sense that it's going to be Pareko, Krug, and... Um... Falk, sorry. Yeah, thank you. And then, of course, the goaltending. It really comes down to the forwards. And if you're trying to read in between the lines, like if you protect Vladimir Tarasenko, then you would assume he's not going to be traded. But if you unprotect Vladdy, it's pretty safe to assume that he's not going to be a blue, correct? Well, I, I think you could look at it both ways. I think a couple of years ago, I remember when Ryan Reeves was on the protected list. And at the time, you know, I was writing and I really, truly felt that they didn't have anybody like him in the system. So that was one of the reasons they wanted to hang on to him. And as it's out, one of the reasons, uh, the main reason Doug Armstrong wanted to hang on to him and protect him was because they had a trade uh, kind of in place with Pittsburgh. At least uh, the Penguins were interested in acquiring Ryan Reeves. So is it a situation where there's ongoing talks with team or teams about Vladimir Tarasenko? If there are, and the trade is uh, you know not to the point where both sides are, are ready to make a trade, then perhaps you do protect him, you hang on to him, and you move him uh, after uh, the expansion draft. So, you know, I could see it uh, both ways uh, in your scenario there, Alex. What about with Jaden Schwartz? How how do you think this is going to work for him? Well, that's a good question. And to me, in my last uh, mock list, I did not protect him because he's not signed. Um, that could change in the next 10 days. If you do get a Jaden Schwartz signed, then you obviously uh, protect him. If you if you don't have him signed, you can protect his rights. We've kind of spelled out the rules on that front. Uh, but if he's a, an unrestricted uh, free agent, the uh, Seattle Kraken will have an opportunity to negotiate with him for a couple days. There's a 48-hour period there, and if they get a deal done, then he could be their pick. So there's a little bit of, you know, I don't want to say pressure, but uh, emphasis on the next 10 days in terms of the Blues trying to get shorts re-signed. But I don't think Doug Armstrong and the franchise is going to do something that they don't want to do just to get a deal done. I think we've talked that perhaps uh, his price range is in that 5 to $5.5 million range. And, you know, he's a guy approaching 30. So you would think that uh, it, it would be something in the three to five year uh, term. And if they can't find something with that, maybe they do leave him unprotected and let Seattle talk to him or, or at least take this thing to free agency. So a number of different ways it could go with Schwartz would be a big kind of storyline in any offseason, but it's even bigger with this uh, expansion draft this year. JR, how big of an offseason is this for Doug Armstrong and his time here in St. Louis? Yeah, I think it's good because some of the moves that have been made, we all know that, uh, Alex, after the Stanley Cup, things change, rosters evolve, you have to pay guys, um, sometimes pay them more than you would hope to pay them. After Stanley Cup, Doug Armstrong said for years that, hey, make me have to pay you. I want to pay you. That means you're going to win a cup. And, and that's what the, the Blues did. And so they gave contracts to guys like uh, Braden Shen. And, and then, you know, you lose an Alex Petrangelo. Uh, you brought in a backup plan in Justin Falk. He's getting paid. Tory Krug got paid. Uh, so there's a lot of contracts on the books with a lot of term. And as we saw, that team didn't get the job done. So, you know, if these contracts that I'm talking about were two or three years, you know, that Doug Armstrong would approach this situation, okay, I need to make the team better, 
but I do have some flexibility in a couple of years. Well, you don't have that now. This is your team for the next four, five, six years, unless you make a significant change like trading a Tarasenko, like moving on from Jaden Schwartz and bringing somebody else in. So to me, it seems like every year we talk about this is a big offseason for Doug Armstrong. But to me, because there's so much term on the books and you kind of are what you are in, in terms of your nucleus for the next several years, to me, that's why it's such a big offseason this year in particular, because he's going to have to get creative with some of the moves he makes to make this team better knowing that there are some guys that he just can't move. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter as well, at J.P. Rutherford. JR, I know I've seen it on Twitter. I'm sure we'll probably get some texts on this as well. You saw last night the big the big goal from Pat Maroon. He's a free agent in this upcoming offseason, and I think we've talked about this in the past do you think he could potentially be a target for the Blues if they wanted to add some more depth? And, I mean, we've talked so much about going to the net. We saw it last night from Maroon. Is he somebody they could look at adding this offseason? I don't see it. I really don't for a couple of reasons. BK, if Doug Armstrong didn't think that Pat Maroon could kind of help them moving forward after the Stanley Cup year and, and he was okay with saying, okay, that was a great swan song for, for Pat Maroon, we're going to go a different direction, I can't see him circling back uh, two years later. Now, obviously, Pat Maroon went and won two cups with Tampa Bay. Maybe that's something that could change somebody's mind. I don't see that in St. Louis. I think that Pat Maroon, hey, good for him. He's played well. He hasn't just been a bystander on that terrific team in Tampa Bay. He's helped them. We saw it last night with the big goal to tie that game uh, two to two. But to me, Pat Maroon's found a new home in Tampa. I would think that they'd want to figure out a way to, to keep him. And look, he, he hasn't made that much money in the past couple of years in terms of, you know, relatively speaking. So I think Tampa's going to find a way, uh, probably an inexpensive way to keep Pat Maroon. Jerry, you watch these two Stanley Cup final. Are these two teams in the Stanley Cup final and really the presence is coming from their bottom two lines. I mean, Tampa's having some success with guys that are playing on their third line and of course Pat Maroon scoring a goal. Montreal having the same effect with Corey Perry. You know, we do icebreaker questions, 10 of them in the offseason last couple of weeks and the one that we're going to talk about today is if the Blues bottom six group is good enough to compete for a cup again. Do you feel like this team is or do they need to do a little roster overhaul on the bottom six? No, I don't think they are right now at this point. And to be honest, you know, who who is their bottom six right now? Because of the injuries, we just didn't see them put anything together where you could kind of say, yeah, you know, I, I like that group. I like that line. I like that group of uh, six. Uh, we know the guys who probably make it up. Uh, Sunquist, if he's healthy, you like him in that bottom six. You know, is Robert Thomas ready to take that step uh, to the top six? We thought he was last year. It didn't work out because of injuries and he didn't perform. You know, can he anchor that third line? Is Tyler Bozak coming back? You know, I think you guys make a great point, and I know Randy's been beating that drum too, is that the Blues won uh, that Stanley Cup year, and, and big um, uh, reason for that was that fourth line. They played so well, third line too. And so that's what we're seeing in the Stanley Cup final. I think for the Blues to be able to play with the Colorados and the Vegases the next couple of years, they have to get more production out of some of those top six guys, the guys who are getting paid. But if they really want to compete with them and they really want to be you know, in the final four, they'd have to improve that bottom six. And, and so who's healthy, who's ready to take that next step. But I think they're going to have to go outside. You know, I just don't think whether it be the Zach Sanfords, the Sammy Blaze, some of these guys are, are, you know, good enough to contribute in the way the blues need them to contribute. And that's scoring a bit, 
but that's also playing the game the right way, and it's just not there every night. So I, I think they could use some veteran experience to come in and, and supplement that group of bottom six. Need to make a quick correction for myself. I misread Pat Murray's contract. I apologize. I thought he was a free agent this offseason. It is actually next offseason when he is a free agent, so that is my apologies. He will he will probably not be a Blues offseason addition, considering he has one more year left on his deal. Maybe he would be a trade target, but certainly not an offseason free oh, agent Oh, yeah, they target. updated it. That's why. That's my bad. Uh, no, BK, yeah, I think they, he left the Blues, and I think he signed that one-year deal with Tampa yep. Bay for 900000 and then that earned him a, yeah. a two-year deal. So, yeah, it won't be a free agent. But even if he were going to be a free agent this year or next year, you know, the point here is that I don't think the Blues would have interest. I think they've moved on. Jer, final question that I've got for you, kind of going off of what Alex just asked you, how do they upgrade that bottom six if they're also trying to go out there and acquire one, maybe even two top six left wingers? That just seems like a ton of overhaul to these forwards over this offseason. Is that going to be possible? Well, you know, you're right. They do need to upgrade that left wing position. And does it include Schwartz? Does it not include Schwartz? Is it one of the big fish, you know, like a, a Landeskog or whomever on that left side where it would kind of limit how much you'll be able to spend on the rest of the roster? You know, all those things come into play for sure. But typically bottom six guys, you know, aren't all that expensive. And secondly, if there's a hockey trade involved and you're moving out a guy, you know, you're losing cap space as, as you bring it in. So, um, you know, Years ago, when I tried to analyze, hey, what could Doug Armstrong possibly do uh, this offseason, everything you kind of come up with, you, you look and you say, the money's just not going to work. But all it takes is a move here, a move there, you know, flip something around, turn something, make a trade that you didn't see, and all of a sudden uh, the money's there. So to me, the more difficult part for Doug is going to be upgrading that uh, left-wing position with shorts, without shorts, doing something, uh, even adding on the defense. You know, we've talked about some names on the left side of that defense. So I think those are going to be the harder things for Doug to do than potentially upgrade that uh, bottom set. JR, correction, we've talked about one name for that left side on defense, and his name's Jamie Alexiak. <laughs> Final thing before we get you out of here, All JR. Today, huh? <laughs> if, there is, if there is one thing that you're most curious about over the next week to 10 days, what is it? When you're making your calls, what, what's the number one thing you're like man i'm really curious to see how this goes it's vladimir tarasenko it really is and i'll be writing about this uh, at the athletic i would say in in relative due time here in terms of uh, what are they going to do with them i fully believe that uh, they're exploring and i believe that they're probably talking to teams and i'm interested to know what the interest in tarasenko is around the league i do think that the blues uh, would if they found the right fit and uh, in terms of also you know not just what they're getting back in the deal but how much salary would they have to retain in a deal for Vladimir Tarasenko you know I think it could free up some money for them to do some other things and, and I think they would be fine with parting with Vladimir Tarasenko so I think even above Schwartz even above the expansion draft what is the future of Vladimir Tarasenko in St. Louis I don't know that we'll find that out in the next 10 days but I, I think you know, there's a good chance we could see something with that this summer. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. Hope you had a fantastic holiday weekend. Hope you enjoyed your vacation as well. We'll talk with you again soon, my man. Yep, thanks, guys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Is that the number one thing you're most interested in over the next 10 days as well, Alex, is what happens with Vladdy Tarasenko? Is there anything else that would jump uh, above I think, that I on think your mine list? would be who is going to be that top left winger because I don't think you Do you can... think that happens in the next 10 days, though? 
think there's a chance. Interesting. I think there's a chance because if you're going to hit the trade market before this deadline where teams have to have their protected list and teams are trying to negotiate that list and make sure that they get guys on there, I think there are going to be a few teams out there that are saying, okay, we need to move this piece or this piece out. Let's see if we can get something for it. I think you're going to be aggressive in that sense leading into the expansion draft, and I think you're aggressive in that sense going into the draft. And then, of course, you. I think your fallback option is free agency, but I just don't think you can go into the – to this upcoming season with the same top two left wingers. I think you need an upgrade for anybody that missed it. The deadline for the expansion draft is July 17th. So 11 days from now is when they have to have that list in place. And once they do that locks in and there is no movement, at least trade wise in the league from July 17th until the 21st, there's a four day freeze on movement around the league. And then that's when the expansion drafts takes place. And then all hell breaks loose around the league. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the next big date for Blues fans to keep in mind is July 28th. That is when restricted free agency and unrestricted free agency officially begin. And the 23rd is the amateur draft. And a lot of people know, too, that that's where trades happen as well, especially the first round. And the Blues have a 16th overall pick, which is pretty high considering where they usually draft. They're usually drafting somewhere in the 20s to 25. So that's going to be a trade piece as well. So I'd keep the 23rd locked in also. The next three weeks could completely alter where this franchise is. By the by, the beginning of August, you could be looking at your team for the upcoming season. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We were just talking about this off the air. I'm involved in what is called the Scott Fishbowl. It's a fantasy football league that involves a bunch of experts and a bunch of people like me that are Joe Schmoes, right? Um, yeah, it's you, the got a, first, you got a problem. It's my first fantasy draft of the year. Do you guys like fantasy baseball? Because I, I've never been able to get into fantasy baseball. So I haven't been in it the last couple of years because when you're in fantasy baseball, it is a lot of commitment because there's a lot of Dude, moving parts ends. and making sure you're staring up to it because you got to make sure your starting pitchers are healthy and they're pitching and it's a long season. But when I was in it, it made the season so much more enjoyable because not only am I focusing on the Cardinals every day, but I'm focusing on like seven or eight other teams with my players on them. I loved it. I think I'm going to get back into it next season. I just got out of it these last couple of years because, man, it was just overwhelming trying to do that on top of the fantasy football, on top of actually trying to have career. Yeah, aspirations That's the harder, to do that's this. The harder part. Yeah, I don't mind doing fantasy baseball. The problem for me is just keeping track of it every day. I go through phases where it's like I'm on the ball, and then there's sure. like a week where I completely forget about it, and then I have like five guys on the aisle, and it's like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> My whole team just got beat up. I can't imagine. I, I don't play fantasy baseball. It's just not for me. There's too much day-to-day grind within it. But for anybody that's playing this year, I've got to imagine your pitchers are just an absolute nightmare. You wake up in the morning, you're like, hold on, who who's out now? <laughs> I hope you're not one of those people that drafts just one team because if you drafted the Cardinals, well, your fans team's probably not doing great. Yeah. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers from the 980. I find this interesting. Guys, I've heard repeatedly you guys say something to the degree that you don't think this lineup is a World Series winning lineup. So my question is, what exactly does the front office need to do in order to make it a World Series contending lineup? And would you all be okay with the same lineup going into 2022 after the money comes off the books? What needs to happen? Correct me if I'm wrong, though. We actually, before this, 
struggle back in spring training we were the ones that were saying they're maybe a piece away from being a world series lineup. i still believe that well i, I was, want to believe I, that. I, I'm i was not super so, swiping not so much anymore because guys are underperforming to what my expectations were like i thought and look paul goldschmidt nolan arenado have been awesome but part of the reason they're struggling right now is because those guys are struggling tyler o'neill's been hot and cold um dylan carlson's been hot and cold tommy edmund doesn't look like a leadoff hitter anymore for you he does against lefties and can't hit righties. That's but fantastic. Lefties, he's been great. We got a uh, we got a split leadoff hitter. Fantastic. Him That's going to be great. Him and Harrison Bader can both bat leadoff against lefties. Yeah, the problem we'll is, who's going to bat leadoff against the seventy percent of the pitchers in the league? I, I honestly, I don't know what I would do to turn it into World Series contender because, like, if the guys that you have are underperforming, it doesn't matter the additions you make. So. I think the one area I'm going to look at is the shortstop position because Paul DeYoung just does not look like your starting shortstop. If I'm going to make this a World Series contender just from my life, I'm going to spend money on one of these big free agents because then hopefully I can take pressure off of Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado to be the saviors of this offense, which I feel like we say every year. Yeah. Somebody needs the pressure taken off of them. Maybe that's the one thing that I'm going to change because if you go get yourself a Trevor Story, a Carlos Correa, a Javi Baez, yeah, I think I'm considering that team a World Series contender. Yeah, I, I'm i not quite sure what the moves are. Maybe we, you try the stall turn, just trade packages of prospects and go acquire all the superstars in the <laughs> no league. No-name prospects. Yeah, those guys. Uh, I, I think I would, I would not feel comfortable coming in with the same lineup coming into next season. There's going to be a move. It's either good. There's three spots I look at, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out some of these free agents for one of these. But shortstop's definitely a big hole right now on this team. I think you could look at adding an outfield bat to where you can make Bader a bench bat possible or coming off the bench or even O'Neal still if you have concerns with his health because he's struggling to stay healthy. Um, or the DH too. Maybe you just add a big bat that's DH. That yeah. seems more likely. I also look at second base. If Tommy Emmon can't hit right-handed pitching, which he's clearly not been able to do throughout his career so far, and he's at about the 100, he's over the 162 game threshold, I think then maybe you look at someone to start at second base. That's what I'm trying to figure out now is who's going to be second baseman that are going to be on the market. You know, he's not a free agent. He's a trade. Jonathan Scope will be a free agent. No, Scope. Go sign Jonathan Scope. That'd be fine. And and the reason I say that is because I don't think Tommy Edmund's a bad player, but I I feel like the more I'm watching Tommy Edmund and his struggles against right-handed pitching, he's one of those guys that's a platoon guy, or not a platoon guy, well, could be a platoon guy, but a utility guy coming off the bench. You need to give your shortstop a day off? All right, we'll put Edmund there. You need your second baseman a day off? We'll put him there. Outfielder? We'll put him there. Third base? We'll put him there. That, to me, feels kind of like the role that he's going to kind of turn into, kind of that Ben Zobers type, except it wasn't, the starting Ben Zobers. It's going to be that bench bat Ben Zobers. Yeah, but Scope's not a leadoff hitter. I, I think I, I think Carlson could be your leadoff hitter for a year, and I know that we don't he's think... He's been struggling there too, though. I know we don't look at him as a leadoff hitter, but I, I think Carlson with his gap-to-gap uh, power, kind of double power, I think he'd be a great leadoff guy as time goes on. I mean, Carlson, in moving forward, should be a number two hole hitter for you. I think that's where he profiles best, but I don't... I think the classic leadoff hitter, like Kyle Schwarber, when he was going through all of that power search, he was batting leadoff for the Nationals. Anthony Rizzo's been a leadoff hitter for yeah, a long time. So for the, the classical, this is what you need as a leadoff hitter has kind of gone to the wayside. So in some ways, actually, Dylan Carlson is the modern leadoff hitter. He gets on base at a high clip. He has pretty decent power. Do I want him getting more RBI opportunities? Sure. But 
I also want Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado taking more and more at-bats. And if you bat them second and third, you have that opportunity to do so. So I, I'm fine with that. This team needs one more bat. I don't care where it comes from, honestly. Whether that be your DH, you put them at second, you put them in the outfield, you upgrade over Paul DeYoung with a baseball trade, the way that we've talked so much about the hockey trades. Uh, that's great. Anywhere you want it, they can use it because they are in need of one more bat adding to this lineup, whether that be leadoff, batting at second, batting cleanup, fifth, wherever you want it in your top five in the order. That's what they're missing right now. One name for you real quick. How about Starlin Castro? Free agent to be can play second base, has a career 318 on base percentage, 279 hitter, got a 316 on base, 263 average this year. He's on a one-year $6 million deal with Washington. You go sign him for maybe two years. This dude can hit. This guy can play. You've seen him in the division. You've seen him when he was with the Miami Marlins and now the Nationals. Doesn't he commit a lot of errors, though? Yeah, he's not very good defensively. Well, if you're putting him at second base, and then you can just defensive sub or yeah, defensive switch him out for a Tommy Edmonds late in games. He hasn't really hit very well over the last few years. I'd rather I'd rather frankly put Nolan Gorman there. If I'm gonna sign Starlin Castro, I'd rather give Nolan Gorman the shot. Last four years he's a below league average hitter, so I I like the idea. I think you're on the right path, but I, I would rather have scope than than Starlin Castro. If you're gonna get, I'm if you're gonna you have there. a downgrade defensively I, either you know, way, I'm might just, as well go with I'm the guy. Just that doing can the hit nice better. blend of a second baseman and a leadoff hitter. I appreciate that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, play a game of in or out. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in that. Coming up next, though. The Cardinals offense officially ran out of excuses over this last 20 game stretch. We'll tell you about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. courtesy of the Rockies TV network as the Rockies win three out of four against the, against the Cardinals. The Cardinals lose nine or excuse me, go nine and 11 in their 20 game stretch against the Marlins, Braves, Tigers, Pirates, Diamondbacks, and Colorado Rockies. That's what you said they needed to do. They needed to go nine and 11 for them to be competitive. Eh, 13, seven, nine and 11, pretty close. This is not what we were looking for. We were hoping for the Cardinals to be able to get back to their winning ways when they were playing against some of the worst teams in the league. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Guys, we're not going to let this Cardinals offense off of the hook after this most recent stretch. The pitching gave them every opportunity to be able to have success. They had a 3.7 ERA during this 20-game stretch. That's great. Given where your pitching staff is at right now, that is everything you could have asked for and then some. The bullpen was outstanding. They have kind of walked, they have lightened up on the walk side of things. They're throwing more strikes. It's the offense. The offense continues to be bottom five in basically every statistical category other than strikeout rate, which is wild, in this 20 game stretch, even though they were going up against some of the worst pitching in baseball. Alex, I'm running out of answers. Like the lineup is healthy. You've got your guys in there. 
uh, you've got the hitting coach that apparently the organization is sticking behind. At, at this point, it, is all we can do just kind of throw up our hands and say, I don't know, I got nothing left for you? Because yeah. that's where I'm at. I think that's pretty much it. I, I mean, I texted you guys after that Colorado Rockies series, and I said, guys, you just played four games against the Rockies, and you scored two runs three times and three runs once before that extra innings catastrophe mm-hmm. for Colorado. Not bad. No, not Terrible. good. Terrible. In Colorado to do that? With the players that you have on this roster. I, I mean, at one point against the Colorado Rockies, guys, Matt Carpenter was hitting a leadoff for you. And I sent you some of the well, cleanup too, didn't he? Yeah, one of those games. Oh yeah, yeah. not not leadoff. It was cleanup. Now I got to find the stats. Yeah, cleanup on Sunday. Yeah. So twenty four at bats since June twelfth. Two hits, no extra base hits, no RBIs, no runs scored. A 083 slug percentage and a three twenty five OPS. Everybody's got triple now. That's your answer to your offense. That is the player that you throw in there and say, "Well, this isn't working, so let's switch it up." That's not going to do. And look. It, Maybe there's something to build off of that you went three for six with runners in scoring position yesterday and that you had multiple guys with multiple hits. I mean, the heart of that order finally contributed. Yeah, but I'm done with these one game sample sizes of of things starting to get back on track. They were 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position on Sunday. I, so I agree 100%. You were basically no hit to a former Oriole pitcher, and I will stick by that statement. But once again, you scored all of your runs in the seventh inning. Now, I understand Gossman was still pitching and you scored two runs on him, but that's still the seventh inning. You cannot thrive under that circumstance where you're only scoring runs in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning because you're probably nine times out of ten playing catch-up baseball. And that is exhausting. That's fatiguing. And frankly, you could see the wear and tear on these guys mentally. Yeah, Matt Carpenter talked about this. And Tanner, we'll go ahead and use this quote because... I I thought it was interesting yesterday after the game. He spoke pretty openly, honestly, and he always does. He's a great quote. But about the pressure that they're putting on themselves, Alex, to your point, and I think it's kind of telling the way that he describes what the Cardinals' offense is and isn't right now. While you've seen some of the inconsistencies is because, you know, we've got a lot of good players who care a lot and want to win, and sometimes they try to put it on themselves, um, myself included, to be that guy and to get that big hit. And you just got to let the game come to you. You just got to be able to go out there and, and compete in a way that, um, you know, gives you the best chance to be successful. And if you try to, if you try to be that guy and try to, you know, change the course of a season with one pitch or one, you know, at bat or one plate appearances, that's when you, you, you find yourself in trouble trying to do too much. And I think that's more than anything, I think that's where we've been offensively. It's just, you know, trying to each person stepping up to the plate and going, I'm going to be the guy that's going to fix this right now. You know, when but didn't I, he just say that's not what you want to be? Like he's talking about how guys are trying yeah. to be the answer. And then he just said, well, that's the problem. Yeah, that's that's the issue. And Alex, as as home run hitters ourselves, we have a little bit of experience I've hit, I've hit with multiple of them from with second this kind of a thing. Um, touch the wall twice. I can tell you the one time that I got close where I did touch the wall it was when I was just kind of putting a swing on it. it. There was no, I'm going to hit a home run right here, rev up and get ready to go. And so, again, I have a lot of experience in these sorts of situations. So, therefore, I can speak to what Matt Carpenter's talking about. Yeah, trying to hit it as hard as you can, not a good route to go. Uh, and and it seems like that's what the Cardinals are doing right and now. And also when you're trying to save your teammates and, and help the team out, you know, because when we went up there and I, I told the guys, I said, look, Stoltz, BT, BK, I got, got this. you. Yeah. I got this, guys. You asked me to fill in, and I'm going to go mm-hmm. out there, and I'm going to perform for you. So I understand where they're coming from. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And you made a good point about the pitching staff. Like, when you're when you're getting down early, because even when the Cardinals pitching has been good, it's been good of late. 
It's been really You end good. up going into the seventh inning. You're down like three to one. And your pitcher's like, geez, man, do I need to be perfect? Because it seems like that's the only way they're winning right now. Like KK was pretty close to perfect yesterday. It's about as well as you'll ever see KK pitch in any game. He goes deep. He gives you length. He doesn't give up many base run. There's almost no traffic. He was great. And that's what it takes right now. Like Wayno's on the mound tonight, and Wayno's been outstanding. His month of June was unbelievable. You almost need him to go seven innings because you used Reyes last night, so he's probably unavailable. Gallegos, we'll see, might be unavailable. Like your big three is teetering on who's going to be available coming out of the pen tonight. So you probably need seven strong innings with Wayno, give up one, maybe two earned runs, and that's your way to be able to get a win. Let me stop you there because I don't think any of that matters. You need your offense. You need your offense to give you a nice lead while Wayno's pitching. Because if you don't have Latino heat tonight in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, you're not winning that game. Who are you going to? Bladell? They don't have a lot of great answers. I mean, so, Justin Will- Justin Miller at least looked decent. Cabrera will be available tonight. I don't know on Reyes. That'd be three days in a row and four out of the last five. I'm guessing he's unavailable. And Gallegos, it would be three days in a row. I'm guessing he's not available as well. So you'll probably see Helsley, Gant, Cabrera. If they need them seven, eight, nine tonight in the in the bullpen. No, I mean that's that's your you, best option. You Maybe Andrew your, Miller. You Maybe better Andrew have Miller. yourself a five or six run lead then, because that stresses me out. That sounds like a lot of walks coming from your bullpen. I'll just put all the pressure on them once again. They're not going to score five to six runs. No, they're not. Offense can't do they're that. Not. Who's Come pitching on. today? I think I think if you get six to seven, you'll still be fine with Wayno because I think you can turn to an Andrew Miller. A uh, Ryan Helsley. Seriously, possibly. all guys that he wants to put in the circle of trust, he's <laughs> confident in. Justin Miller has still been so good. Much more Justin Miller. Why do you Waddell, have confidence Waddell, in everyone? Waddell, whatever his name is, can throw another. You inning. just find the best in everyone, don't you, T Bone? Yeah, I respect. I appreciate that about you. Uh, I just don't have that same confidence in this bullpen know. as you do. Like if it and were me, really, everybody'd be in the circle. It's less about the bullpen and more about the offense because. If the bullpen gives up one, maybe two runs matter. late in the game, that's fine. You can offense. live with that. The problem is if you've already given up two or three from Adam Wainwright in his six or seven strong innings, and then you give up one, maybe two in the back end, so now you're down four to two, and you lose. So the bullpen has to be perfect. Wayno has to be close to perfect, and the offense has to be able to step up. And it's just... I, I want to have faith in this team. When I hear Matt Carpenter say that they are a, gr- a strong second half team, I know that to be true. We've seen it with Mike Schiltz in the past. But what about this team gives you confidence that that's going to be the case in 2021? Because it's hard for me to watch them on a night in, night out basis and be like, man, yeah, 2021 Cardinals, here we go. I'm starting to get vibes similar to the Blues. Where I, you waited, 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 and I was telling you all season long, Alex, wait, why are why are we waiting? What's going to change? And eventually it just didn't work. And I, I'm worried that we're going to go down the same path with the Cardinals where it's like, man, they just never had it. They, they never had it this year. And so, it just never turned around for them. And someone texted in last week and said that. Like, oh, Ferrari, you complain about the Cardinals all the time, but you had so much faith in the Blues. It's because I saw progress with the Blues. I really haven't seen progress with the Cardinals. Because I get one game like we had against the Giants, like you had against the Rockies, like you had our series, I guess, against the Diamondbacks, but then you falter and stumble after that. I haven't seen consecutive games where I'm like, okay, this team's trending in a different direction. We saw that with the Blues, which is why I had confidence. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line coming up in about 15 minutes or so. It's time for our John Nagowski eulogy, and I've never been more upset about anything in my life. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Count that, that big pen. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Blues should protect Jaden Schwartz just so they could use him in a trade later on in the expansion draft. Out. Nobody's going to nobody's gonna make a trade for Jaden Schwartz, and why would he sign a contract if you're just going to trade him? I'll go to free agency and have the team pay me maybe sure. more that you're going to give me. The only way somebody would trade for Jaden Schwartz is if it's a team-friendly contract. So, no, I'm out on this one. I don't think you'd get anything for shorts. Frankly, if you're going to sign them, I'm keeping them. And I'm going to try and sign them for cheap, and I'm going to try and have them on my second line because I'm a better team with shorts. I just need an upgrade on that top left wing. Yeah, I'm out as well. It just doesn't seem to make much sense. I I think they're definitely going to go the route of not protecting shorts because I I just don't see them being brought back. I don't even even think you bring them back on a team-friendly deal. I think it's one of those where it's, we're kind of shaking things up. Schwartz, we appreciate it. We'll, We'll talk to you later. We'll see you down the road. Why do you hate Jane Schwartz? I don't. I didn't say I hated Jane Schwartz. I think they need a shakeup somehow. And Moving I think on the, from him is one of them. Yeah, I think the best way to do that this offseason is by deciding that Jaden Schwartz is going to go elsewhere. Um, if he was willing to take a team-friendly deal, I'm all in favor of them bringing him back. And whether he ends up as your second-line left winger or third-line left winger later on in that contract, that's perfectly fine. But I can't pay a guy $5 million over four or five years to be potentially by year two or three of that deal, a third line left winger. That's just going to be tough. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Mike Schilt will have a shorter managerial tenure in St. Louis than Mike Matheny did. Mike Matheny was the Cardinals manager for seven seasons. Mike Schilt is in year four right now. So in or out, Mike Schilt is gone for one reason or another within the next three seasons. Oh, man, I'll say out on this one, because if you stuck with Mike Matheny for seven years, Mike Schilt is a much better manager than Mike Matheny. So I think you stick with him. I don't see. This is the problem. Like, I think people look at it like the NFL and and like those leashes in the NFL with coaches are so short, like baseball. You got to stick with it. I mean, look how long Clint Hurdle lasted in Pittsburgh before they finally pulled the plug on that, you know, so. Um, I think there are going to be other firings before Mike Schilt would be let go. I think they stick with Mike Schilt. So I, I, I'd i say out on this one. I think he lasts longer than Mike Matheny. Well, Matheny made the playoffs every year except for those back two. Yeah. Well, he, he had Tony LaRusso's team. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, that, that is a tough one because I don't think they're making it this year, but I would think that they should be able to get back to that playoff level come next year. I think I'm out. I, I think we're getting ready to hit this winning window. I mean, we probably already wow, should be someone's there. Someone's optimistic. <laughs> what? Wow. Wow. I didn't mean this year. I meant more of next year. And then there's going to be about this four, three to five year period where they should be really winning and getting into the playoffs every year. And I think Schilt's the right guy to do that. Now, Jeff Howard, maybe not so much, but Mike Schilt. Yeah. My other so question would be, out. who are you hiring? Like who's a better manager out there than Mike Schilt for you? If you were going to make a managerial change, and they shouldn't have done this, I want to say that on the front end. Last offseason was the time to do it. Joe Madden? When Alex Cora and A.J. Hench and some like legit high-pedigree managers were available that shouldn't have been, but you know, baseball, cheating scandals, all that stuff, um, that would have been the time to do it. But to answer your question, Alex, like that guy doesn't really exist right now. Yeah. Unless I, I've always heard guys say that... Um, What's the face? Raleigh Banyas? 
is like the next big thing. The former Phillies? Yeah. The guy who had just spit in his mouth 24-7 yeah. at the plate. I could tell you who would be a name to keep an eye on if there Skip. were to be a change. Skip Schumacher. Yeah. Skip he makes got the a lot of sense. Tie. Skip will be at some point. I, I think eventually he makes a lot of sense. But I, I think he's going to be around for a while. I think the organization likes Mike Schilt. I think Mike Schilt is not the problem for the Cardinals. Maybe he's not the solution, at least right now, but hes they've got way bigger issues than Mike Schultz. <laughs> Albert. Pools? Well, I mean, we I bring him back next year. I think there's something to the hitting coach being an issue for the Cardinals. And oh, it's more than an issue. About that. I don't know why he brought his name up. I just coughed. I also think at some point we have to talk about the players as well. They're just underperforming. You know, it's well, weird. And look, everyone's texting in. Stubby clap, Ali Marmol. Guys are a part of the staff already. Yeah. If you don't think their voice is just as much heard as Mike Schiltz, then you're you're sadly mistaken. So they're not winning with them a part of the club. I know that's not going to make a difference if you put them in the manager spot. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. Guys, in or out, there is not a clear runner for the World Series this year. There's no clear front runner for the World Series this year. Do you guys in I, or out on I'm that? in on this. Because I agree both the NL and the AL. I mean, the NL, like, I think everyone assumed it was the Dodgers. But, I mean, look, the, the Giants are the significant team in that division right now. And you got and the this Padres. Is, this is not a statement on whether or not he should be playing. He shouldn't. Um, but Trevor Bauer being out is a big loss on the baseball side of things for yep. the Dodgers. And I have no idea what that's going to mean moving forward. But and then look at the that's American a significant League. one. I mean, you got the White Sox who are going to get people back. You have the Angels with how they've been playing, if they can make the playoffs. And then on top of it, you still have the Red Sox. You got the Astros. You got the Athletics. There is This isn't like a normal season the last couple of years where you knew who the teams were going to be in the World Series because I really don't know. It could be five or six different teams. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm in on that because I think there's three clear-cut favorites, and they're all in the NL West on the NL side. And then the AL East. You're not including the Braves or the Brewers. I was going to say, I think I'm including the Brewers right now. At some point, we've got to, right? Their pitching is... I mean, At we some don't, point, but... They're a bat away from... We we'll talk s- about Burns and Woodruff, but... Don't forget about Freddie Peralta. He's having a great season and their for bullpen. Them, man. I mean, their bullpen is lights out right now. I, I, I'm not there yet. I think they are a really good team. I think they're going to win the NL Central. I'm curious to see how they do the, to end this first half stretch because they're playing the Mets now. DeGrom goes against them tonight. That'll be a test for me. And then also then they've got the Reds who are playing good baseball uh, yeah. coming up. And then the American League, I look at. I could see the Red Sox. I could still see the Rays because the Rays are still good. Toronto, I think, still going to have a good second half. You got the you guys Yankees. Know the Mariners are five games over five hundred. They're they're sneakily there. What, the what's thing, going on? Marco Gonzalez, be, World gonna, Series champ. They are like the Diamondbacks from about two years ago when they finished above five hundred, and then they just didn't know where to go from there. That's kind of where Seattle is right now. All the teams that we talked about getting their players onto the Cardinals are better than the Cardinals. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Texas isn't better than the Cardinals and they got Garcia. That's yeah, true. They actually kind of and, are better. And they have Gibby. But the I mean, Rangers? They have, yeah, the Rangers are better. They're 33 and 52, man. Cardinals are just about right there. Bet no. they would take two or no, three no, from no, us. No, 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 no. Don't say that. 65780 is the air coverage service line for in oh. or out. <laughs> Guys, in or out, Joe Burrow is going to take that next step this year and be an MVP contention. Did they upgrade their offensive line? Alex will tell you, no, they did not. Okay, then no. Out. Oh, well, they upgraded their wide receiver because their quarterback can throw from his ass every week. Can he block? <laughs> Is he sure a good he can, pass blocker? I'm sure he can block balls from being intercepted when Joe Burrows throws as he's falling backwards. Who's their backup? 
Doesn't matter. I'd take the over on his start. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I don't think he's going to be in the MVP conversation. <laughs> I take the over on his start too. <laughs> um, I do think Joe Burrow is going to have a good season, though. Yeah, I expect big things list. out of him. Yeah, on the injured list. Where's Joe Burrow rank on your young quarterback list? With or without a left tackle? Well, with or without a left arm, you know, I could go either way. We don't know. You don't have left tackle. You're probably not going to have a left arm. Um, out of the rookie class? I mean, so Herbert's still right up there for me. But if we're eliminating Patrick Mahomes from this conversation, I think I, I mean, Joe I, Burrow's got to be up there. I think I'd have Burrow's right there with Herbert. See, I don't know if he's at really? that level. Yeah. I don't think he's at that level. Yeah, but before that injury, I mean, I mean, he like made Cincinnati significant in his first year with no talent around him. Like, you can't argue that like that quarterback with some talent is going to be an effective player. Because how many wins? He had four wins with Cincinnati before mm-hmm. he was injured. Like, and they were competitive losses too. So I'd have him up there with Justin Herbert because Justin Herbert had more talent than Joe Burrow did. Yeah, but terrible coaching. Well, I would have, I would have Herbert number one for me. I'd probably go Herbert one. Lawrence two. I know we I, haven't I seen see, it, I want to see him first before Tim I put Tebow him Tim Tebow will be the quarterback for Jacksonville by week Enough three. from you. Oh, Last one good. for you guys. In or out, the Cardinals will get no hit at some point this year. In. <laughs> I am too. That's the only thing I could think last night was this is going to, it may might as well happen now because it's going to happen at some point. Man, you guys are so negative. I'm out on this. Would have been better if it was in Colorado. Oh, no. That would have no, been, been worse. I know. That's what. Although you did almost get no hit more. by a former Oriole, so. Man, who developed pitching well. Why do you hate Kevin Costman? And Wade LeBlanc. Oh, and Liddell, Waddell, whatever his name is. Guys, my guy Gossman from 2019 all the way I, to 2000 freaking 17. This guy's learned, lived with a five ERA. He learned know, to throw the splitter. Now. He's got a good splitter now. I don't now. care if he's got a good splitter or not. He's terrible. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie, the moment we've all been waiting for. Get to go home? The John Nagowski eulogy is next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's the day I, ne- I hoped we would never get to. Did you say it was the day we never get to? We hoped we would never get to. You were pretty confident, though. You didn't want to put hope in there. Unfortunately... It has arrived. John Nagowski was designated for assignment by, assignment by the Cardinals last week. No! I was, I was hoping that that just meant he would go down to AAA Memphis and continue playing down there, but we all knew how this works. He was already in AAA Memphis. It was unlikely that he would be able to stay with the Cardinals. They were looking for another team that would be interested in Nagowski. They found one. That team is the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is officially a Pirate, which means... Oh, you'd be an angel. It is officially time for a eulogy. And now here he is in the big leagues. Nagowski, base hit, center field, and John Nagowski has his first major league hit. Love that reaction right there. BK, in all honesty, how happy did that make you feel when you saw that happen? It was, uh, I mean, there are a few days that I will remember for the rest of my Would life. Would that be considered the best day of your life? Proposing to my now fiance, future wife, hit was would better, be up right? there. That'd be number one, probably for me. Was the the proposal? Um, Doubtful. 
Number two was oh, probably the, the the day that I found out that my mom's cancer diagnosis. She was she was done with the cancer. She was in remission. Uh, right. Number three though, John Nagowski, his Damn. the first career hit. Damn five. Up there with easel, cancer easel going away. Number three. Nagowski's hit. Proposal and cancer going Unfortunately, away. Unfortunately, it's over. It's over. It's over, Alex. And you know what that means. Yep. It's time for us. Would you do the honors, Alex? What? Like, can you say that after he's yeah. already started the music? Yeah, the music's already began, man. You're interrupting the eulogy build up here. Interrupted. Hold on. Friends, we're gathered here on a day. Oh, I just can't. To be Kane Ferrario, to put a rest of a career that uh, was made in St. Louis. Such a good man. A player that stole the hearts of BK and Jamie Rivers back in the spring of 2021. A player that will forever be known. It was really the fall of 20. As the Nog father. Oh, he's terrible in the fall of 20. Nobody cares. He got his first career hit. John Nagowski, he was the answer to the offense's needs here in St. Louis, boys. He was the only devil magic player that we've been waiting for since Jeremy Hazel Baker. A higher walk rate than strikeout rate. Back when he hit those home runs in 2016, Hazel Raker was the nickname. John, you were the guy that was too good for the Cardinals to go give money to Albert Pujols to. That's true. Right? Tanner said that you needed those roster they spots. They didn't need a right-handed bench nope. bat. You were the guy that was supposed to make Jeff Albert look like a genius as a hitting coach. Okay, that's not fair. That's really hard. No, I think that's actually very, very spot on. And for a short time in spring training, you were the man that BK said could be an all-star. Remember BK said that? He's like, John Nagowski could be an all-star. That did happen. But, remember that one. But that fizzled out, John. I don't think that happened. It fizzled out faster than the amount of bats you had this season. 19. It's 19. It was more confusing than the rogue wrist injury that put you on witness protection at the start of the season. He was gone from like the end of April until all of June. It was ridiculous. They hit him well. You faded faster than the Cardinals offense does in a stretch against the worst teams in baseball. That's really fast, man. (laughs) John, you moved on. You moved on to an opportunity of a lifetime to go play ball in Pittsburgh. Sure, it's the Pirates, and they'll probably never have a winning season again. But hey, when the Cardinals go on a run to win the World Series in 2021, you'll be part of that. You'll get a ring if they win the World Series this year. The Pirates? Yeah, no, the Cardinals. If the Cardinals win a World Series this year. <laughs> like, I don't think we have to worry about that. Fire? No, he was a part that got the Cardinals some cash during a pandemic season, right? It's important. That's very important to get that cash. The black and gold is going to look great on you, John, with that respectable number 69 on the back. Nice. Nice. Nice number 69 for you, John. Head towards the bright lights, Nogfather. Not those bright lights, but just keep going. Have confidence in knowing that when a Cardinal player moves on, they either make an all-star game... They're crowned the home run king in the American League. Or even better, they have their names compared to Babe Ruth. You'll forever be a Cardinal, John. Forever have a special place in BK and Jamie's hearts. Probably Jamie's house still. I'm assuming he keeps a room open. You'll forever known as the Nogfather. Boys, uh, we're going to miss him here on 101 ESPN. I texted him over the weekend. I was... um... Happy to see him get an opportunity. He already has more hits and more RBI with the Pirates than he did with the Cardinals this year. He's played one game for them. He played in 20 games for the Cardinals. Um, it was rough. Did I got to really be honest with him? you guys. Huh? Yeah. That's really weird. Why? Tell him good luck. 
Oh, um, did you tell him to listen for his eulogy today? No, didn't mention the eulogy. That's Should've a shame. Uh, listen, he. In all seriousness, we had a lot of fun with Nagowski. He was an unbelievable help to us. We Last year was a weird year for the Cardinals, and Nagowski was an unbelievable guy to have on throughout the season, and he had such a great story being in the minors for so long and finally getting his chance to come up to the big leagues. And then what he did in spring training was miraculous. I mean, the guy just couldn't stop hitting. He forced the Cardinals to put him on the opening day roster, which nobody thought would happen. He can't. The Cardinals didn't believe that he could play in the outfield, so they didn't give him any opportunities out there. And he basically said, hey, listen, I'm going to keep hitting and you're going to keep finding guys that you want to be in front of me. And I'm going to outplay them to get onto the roster. It was an incredible story and it stinks that he's no longer here. My favorite thing was when John Nagowski was on with us during spring training. And he was talking about going to the park one day, and we talked all about the Nogfather, right? And how that was the nickname that needed to stick for him. And I want to play this quote from what he said with us uh, during spring training because it wasn't just us calling him the, the Nogfather. It was also some of you guys that were going down to spring training. The nickname that's going to stick for at least here at 101 is what, John? Yeah, the Nogfather. You don't have to worry about that. I'm in St. Lucie. And it's a 1 o'clock game out there, and I'm hearing the Nogfather when I'm walking out to go warm up. I'm like, okay, this is sticking. So we're just rolling with it. This is dead serious. I got Kisner calling me when I wake up in the morning. You know, hey, not get some Starbucks. I mean, it's, hey, it's taken off, though. It's, it really was maybe the most fun storyline for the Cardinals over the last, I guess, calendar year almost now for John Nagowski to become what was kind of a fan favorite here in St. Louis. So I wish him seriously all the best in Pittsburgh. And, I fully anticipate that over the next 20 games, he's going to bat 300 with five home runs, a couple of doubles thrown in there with a bunch of RBI because that's how it works whenever you leave St. Louis. Yeah, Cardinals are going to just be destroying – our Cardinals fans are going to be destroying the Cardinals for moving on from him because he's going to have a good rest of the season. It's weird how this works too because he seems like the perfect guy that the Cardinals could use off of the bench right now. Well, like the perfect guy. But he wasn't good off of the bench for the time that they gave him the opportunity. They also didn't give him any. He I mean, had 19 at-bats. Yeah, oh, that's a lot. He had 20 plate appearances over the course of 19 games. He just he never really got him, and early on this season, for whatever reason, it didn't work, and then he got hurt and went down to Memphis and wasn't hitting down there really at all. So it for whatever reason, it didn't work out here. I think it's going to in Pittsburgh. He's going to get a chance there. That's for damn sure. Um, it, it, I, I wish him nothing but the best because it was a cool story here in St. So Louis. So we've had eulogies for John Nagowski, for Ron Hell Ravello. Who was the other one? Millsy. 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 Yep. And then that guy came back to bite us in the butt when this, he came to St. Louis. This has been a hard He came on years. the show, though. He was great when he came on. Well, he, he also was, he was stood late. us up for the first hour. It's fine. We don't talk about that part. Well, Coming up in 15 minutes, Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider, is going to join the show. Coming up next, though, we'll dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. minutes or so we'll be joined by katie Wu, cardinals insider for the athletic coming off of what was did you guys call it an up and down no, weekend? i'd, I'd, I'd call, call it a, a down weekend. weekend i'd call it a great week oh we were what talking was about, about cardinals it. oh yeah well, that's true my weekend was great mine was too i would say up and down 
roller coaster ride of a weekend for the Cardinals. You know what, why don't we let her describe it? That's fair. We'll we'll have Katie Wu's assessment coming up in about ten minutes or so. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex Ferrario, what do you have for us, my man? Well, boys, uh, you know I'm a big game show guy, right? Like I love game shows. I'll watch anything if you put it on television. Yeah, well, you, maybe not everything. You do put on like a suit and you carry the long stick every time we do like Jeopardy. I don't need the Kinda suit weird. for that. Anyway, so game shows have kind of been getting terrible over the years, though. This one might take the cake on it, though. NBC was trying to run a reality show. There was something called the ultimate slip and slide. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently it uh, turned out kind of crappy because there was an explosive diarrhea outbreak on the slip and slide. It's not what you're looking for. I, I mean, I don't really know like how you like there's nowhere to move from that. Like you can't go anywhere else from that situation, right? Game show should be pulled after that. In ter- well, I would imagine that you could probably continue forward on most game shows. The problem is when you have a game show that is the entire thing is a slip and slide, you can't really progress with a slip and slide when you have other kinds of uh, bodily fluids that are taking place. I just, uh, like, now that this is tied to it, it's never going to be successful because then they're going to say, hey, should we watch the diarrhea game show? It's never going to be called other than that. What was this game show? Like, why? It was the ultimate slip and slide show. Yeah. So, so am I understanding it correctly? It was kind of like Wipeout. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible game show idea to begin with. Let's be honest. (laughs) They are just, they are reaching for straws when it comes to game shows and trying to put. I don't even know if this is considered a game show. Like, would you consider Wipeout to be a yeah, yeah I mean, I would. You can win money it's a on it. It's a yeah, competition. Yeah, that's considered the game show for me. I would consider yeah. a game show like Deal or No Deal or Wheel of Fortune. I, I don't know By if the I would way, consider Wipeout terrible game that. show, Deal or No Deal. Really? I can't believe people used to spend an hour of their evening sitting there watching people just pick briefcases. I mean, I used to I play like the s- game on whatever website it was all the time, like in elementary school. Yeah, Deal or No Deal is fine. No, I hate it. My parents used to like, it was appointment television when Deal or No Deal was on. And I'm like, this is stupid. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know you had such strong takes about Deal or No Deal. To be fair, I don't understand why people watch Survivor or uh, I never watched what's Survivor Amazing either. Race. I don't understand why That's people watch That's a good those. show. That's oh, a good show. I think BK and I should, should compete in it. I feel like we'd actually be okay in the the Amazing Race. I do too. Oh come on, you wouldn't be. No, I don't think you. Guys I think would I could be. be all right. No. What's the Amazing Race? What do they have to do on that? You got <laughs> Wait, you just say we can compete on it and not even know what it is? Now, Survivor would go incredibly poorly for me. We're putting stuff onto our registry right now, and this this damn registry, man, this thing never ends. It's unbelievable. Um, Kara this weekend decided, and it's actually a good idea, but it's not like we go cave make very often. Getting tickets to Survivor? No. So she wants to get, she has an SUV. So apparently there are inflatable mattresses for the back of your SUV. Have you ever seen those before, Alex? Like a so like air mattress? It, yeah, an air mattress that goes inside of your car, basically. So then you put a tent on the back. You have the hatch up, put a tent on the back. So instead of going camping outside, you just whenever you get to where you're going, you throw up the tent, take like five minutes to be able to put it up and you're ready to go. Never heard of it. Sorry. From the 314, Tanner's amazing races to get a Tinder date before the Cardinals end their season. Wow, 314. That's a great tag. Uh, They also 314. Great dad joke. I'm imagining that slip and slide game will have a pretty sharp run. That is an amazing text. That might win text of the day. I don't. 
feel like that is very good. That's a really good one. I was going to say, I wonder how long the show will actually run for. That one's better. I like that one better, actually, too. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We have multiple of these. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) You can't hit a softball, and now you want to go on the Amazing Race. From the 636. (laughs) I don't think you guys will have to hit softballs on the Amazing Race, so go ahead and go for it. That means we'll be good at it, then. Look, if you can't hit a softball, you're definitely not going to win the Amazing Race. Have you guys watched Survivor? Someone said Survivor's fantastic. Give it a chance. I've never watched it. I've seen yeah, parts Survivor's of it. Yeah, Survivor's good. I've I'm never, not a fan. I've never watched it. What do you not like about Survivor? If you if you like any competition show, the chances are you'll like Survivor because it's it's literally generics competition. I show. don't know. For some reason, Survivor just isn't my thing. I someone that our old principal in elementary school was on Survivor and got to the semifinals. I think Damn. it was. T-Bone's, yeah. T-Bone Survivor is trying to find a Tinder date. Didn't we say that was about the Yeah, that race? was that was I, I just think people are trying to make sure. Survivor's great. Survivor's like the original show, the, the original reality competition show. It's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You get a bunch of people that go into like a deserted island or whatever, and then they have to determine who ends up being the last one. It's, it's politics, basically, combined with competitions. Like, real world road rules like it's all of those things in one stupid just give me family feud and steve harvey any day of the week the challenge it's all of these things with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley coming up in about 15 minutes or so we continue our blues icebreaker questions is this bottom six good enough for the blues to win consistently next year we'll get into that in about 15 minutes coming up next though katie Wu, our cardinals insider will join us right here on 101 esp this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario at 101 ESPN. In 10 minutes or so, we'll get into our Blues icebreaker questions. Is this bottom six good enough for this team to compete next year? But right now, it's one of our favorite times of the week where we get to talk with Katie Wu. She's a Cardinals insider for The Athletic. You should subscribe over there and you should follow her on Twitter. She's at Katie J. Wu. Katie, we always appreciate the time. How is it going out on the West Coast for you today? Hey guys, you know, it's uh, my hometown. So this is a trip I've been looking forward to for, for a while. Um, but yeah, beautiful day in the city. Great baseball game yesterday. Probably one of the best that I have covered this season. Uh, and yeah, a, a good gritty Cardinals win yesterday too. Katie, I think we have to start off the top with probably the most important question that we'll get to today. Uh, how will you remember the Nog father, John Nagowski, from his time in St. Louis. It's a really rough day for us today, uh, Katie. We appreciate you kind of being here with us. Oh, man. You know, I didn't get to know John too well, but what I do know is that his career is off to a fantastic start, given his jersey number, which is 69. Nice. And I'm sure he'll continue to – I'm sure he'll put up 20 homers by the end of the season with Pittsburgh. I just know it. That's how it works, I hope he puts up 69 homers, to be honest with you. Just (laughs) matches his 69 homers for John Nagowski. Absolutely. Chase McGuire in half of a season. That would be an unbelievable mark for him, and he would jump to the top of the list of the former Cardinals that have gone on to do miraculous things, which is a hell of a list to be on. Uh, Katie, yesterday, as the Cardinals are getting no hit through six innings, what was your reaction? Um, it was a little, I was a little nervous. Um, I was. It was a fantastically pitched game, and, you know, um, you're, you're obviously aware of what's going on. But in my head, I was like, wow, if the Cardinals get no hit, that's, you know, my, my main concern was, 
then no one's going to talk about how fantastic KK looked yesterday <laughs> because he was excellent, right? And, I mean, you know, you guys know me trying to avoid the negativity as much as possible. Um, and so I was like, well, let's just focus on how well KK is pitching. He looks really efficient, uh, was aggressive, attacking the zone, getting that contact that he pitches for. And I was when I saw in the seventh that Gaussman had – Arnauto and Goldschmidt to get through. I said, you know, if he gets through those two, because they're notorious for, for hitting against the Giants, then we're going to have a problem. But I didn't panic until uh, the Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt and Arnauto went through on the third time. Then, I, you know, my, my mindset was if Gaussman can retire both of them third time through the order, this is probably happening. Well, and God only knows, Katie, Twitter for you would have been just a black hole, a really dark place if that no-hitter would have been a real thing. I think I would have deleted my account. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would have been a smart decision with that one. How would you describe this weekend, though, Katie? I mean, BK and I were talking about a little bit ago to where, yes, it may have felt like a roller coaster because there were high points. But really, when you look at the fact that you lost three or four against Colorado, that really felt like a down portion of this road trip. It did. And I I don't think anyone was particularly happy on the Cardinals Sunday after uh, another Diaz walk off. But it was a. It was a very weird series at Coors, right? Not a lot of scoring, really well-pitched, not a lot of walks. Uh, I mean, the Cardinals came out with a positive run differential and lost the series. It was just a very strange four days at Coors Field. Um, but the offense is a huge concern. And, you know, I thought in, the, in Friday's game, the Bader Grand Slam game, that was one inning out of, you know, four days where the offense was able to piece together what they were looking for. And that's why I think what – the Cardinals were able to do yesterday was huge. I mean, on Sunday, Matt Carpenter came in and told us, you know, we, I don't think this is something that we fix with one swing. This is something that we have to gradually build up and get better. But honestly, his triple really kind of ignited that, that dugout yesterday. It was that big hit they were looking for to, to break through after being no hit for six innings. And I mean, that's probably more indicative of how Galson was pitching in the Cardinals offense overall, but sure. The Cardinals offense has not been great. Uh, and I, he came back in lucky carpenter doing back-to-back media interviews with us and felt a little bit better. You know, he's like, we really need to know that was a great win. It was a collective win. Everyone did their part. And it's something that this team really needed to do it against an all-star starter and the best record team in baseball was huge. What do we make of this offense now, Katie? We're, we're now more than halfway through this season. The names, I mean, it, it's what you expected going into the year. Yeah. Tyler O'Neill's a little banged up right now again, which stinks, but I mean, the, every guy that you thought on opening day should be in that lineup is now in the lineup, and they're still underperforming, mm-hmm. even in this last stretch against 20 underperforming teams that they were going up against with some bad pitching. What the hell am I supposed to make of this offense? I, I'm asking myself the same question. You know, I think we have to take into consideration that when you add up the 80-plus games the Cardinals have played this season, they have only played five all year with the starting lineup they had envisioned. And, you know... I know the offense collectively is underperforming. They know, you guys know, the fans know. But this is historically a second-half team. They always have been. And that's kind of when you ask players in the clubhouse, or not the clubhouse, on the field, when you ask the manager, when you ask people in the organization, it's no one's panicking. And that maybe that's a combination between the division not being the, the most fantastic or maybe it's just knowing the players and knowing their, how things usually play out. But I don't know if you can trust the offense. But I do think that you can trust the Cardinals are going to make a run in the second half. You know, we, we've asked the question to Mike Schultz so many times, Katie. Uh, you know, how do you shake things up? How do you get things going? And look, yesterday's game was nice to see because the heart of your order actually consistently got on base. 
but you're still looking at this wondering, you know, who's the solid leadoff hitter? Who's the guy who can play behind Nolan Arenado? Of course, Tyler O'Neill was out. Does it still feel like that there might be some switching or changing up in this batting order to get things going for Mike Schilt? Yeah, I think that we can, you know, we don't, we can't rule that out by any means. Um, it'll be interesting to see where everyone is at when Tyler comes back. You know, he pinched it yesterday. That's a good sign. I think now it's more or less recovering from the fielding aspect. But I, I like what's going on with Tommy Edmund and Dylan Carlson and switching them in and out of the leadoff spot. Uh, you know, I, I think that Goldschmidt hitting two is, is good, right? Like that's two or three is a good spot for him. It's the five through eight, right? Because I, I don't think anyone expects Paul DeYoung to, to be, have such low numbers throughout the year. He's always been able to hit for average. The power is streaky, but he's been able to get on base. Uh, Bader has been electric in his return i know he he joked with us that he's going to be he wants to be the spark plug or his teammates called him the spark plug but what's really struck me about bader is the fact that he's done a lot of damage on right-handed breaking balls which is something we talked about before his his last il stint and he's come back and been able to do that again if he can continue that that really lengthens the lineup and suddenly you don't really have to worry too much about five through eight but i still think that there's some tinkering involved to find that that perfect matchup there we're talking to Katie Wu for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Check out her work over at The Athletic and give her a follow on Twitter as well, at Katie J. Wu. Katie, I find it interesting that you said you still have confidence that this team can go on a little bit of a run in the second half. And that's kind of been the Mike Schilt staple ever since he was hired here in St. Louis. What is it that gives you that faith, though? If you had to distill that into something, is there is there one aspect of the team? Is it just a fundamental belief in Mike Schilt? What is it that gives you the faith that they'll be able to go on a run in the second half? I think it's just the fact that they've done it so much in the past. It's kind of their M.O. And you look at these players in the lineup. This is exactly who you want right now. You look at the names, and on paper, it's a fantastic roster. So it's confusing. It's puzzling to me why they've been underperforming, but I don't really believe that these names are going to continue to underperform. I don't think these names that have the experience, they have the prestige, they definitely have the capability is going to continue to sputter. This is a rough time, but the Cardinals are optimistic. They're going to get both Jack and Miles back in the second half. This is a team that knows how to win. Just look what they had to accomplish last year in 2020 with COVID and the whole mess of that 60 game season. And when you talk to people in the, in the dugout, or on the field, they all say the same thing. You know, historically, we're a second-half team. We know how to grind out wins. We know what it takes. And since they've been able to do it before, I'm not going to write them off, even if it is a lengthy battle in the standings right now, because they have done it before. So I know that it is easy to be overwhelmed when you look and you see the standings and where the Cardinals are at and, and you know, where how many games back from the Brewers they are. But, you know, this is a team that has done it before. So and it's more or less the same guys on the roster. So, you know, anything can happen. It's a long season, as we know. Katie, final one from me. I feel like it's a weekly question and a weekly update. Where are you on the Cardinals in terms of trade deadline? Do you feel like after this weekend and the struggles that they've continued to go through puts them back into a selling consideration, or do you feel like that there's still a buy option there? I do not think the Cardinals will be sellers. I think they will be buyers. Um, I'm not quite sure they'll make a, a starting pitching splash, mainly because that's going to be, it's going to cost them a lot and they don't want to splurge for half a season rental out of disparity. Right. I do think if they're going to shop around, they're going to shop around for some, a bench bat, both right-handed and left-handed would do, or maybe a fourth outfielder, give them a little bit more depth on their bench. Um, but the small moves they have made, for example, Wade the Blanc when, and no one was really talking about that and everyone kind of wrote that off. 
has worked out well so far. Um, so I do expect the Cardinals to be buyers, maybe not the splashiest of deals, but definitely some roster improvement, especially if they can end this first half of the season strong. You heard it here first. Katie Wu exclusively reporting the Cardinals are planning to acquire both Max <laughs> no. Scherzer and Trevor Story at the trade deadline. And Kyle Gibson. <laughs> are do that. And Kyle Gibson. All three. Okay, so we're excited about what the trade deadline is going to bring. Of course, she's not reporting that, but you can find what her reporting does actually say over at The Athletic. Follow her on Twitter. She is at Katie J. Wu. Katie, we appreciate the time. Enjoy being out in your hometown uh, for the next couple of days, and hopefully we see some more games the next couple of nights. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. What do you think that would mean if the Cardinals did, if, they, if their decision is, you know what, we're not going to be big buyers. We're certainly not selling, but we'll go out there and acquire. I don't even know who the name would be, but insert random Wade LeBlanc 2.0. Yeah. That's what you're going to get a random reliever that can maybe give you a little bit of length that throws strikes and a Brad Miller esque bench bat. Sure. Something like that. How do you think that would be? internalized by Cardinals fans. Cardinals fans, I think, would be disappointed because it's not Trevor Story, Joey Gallo, Mag Scherzer. But for me personally, I look at it as a positive because they're putting some faith in the team that says, okay, we think you guys could do something. They'll go make some magic. They're putting the faith not only in the team that they have together, but they're also adding reinforcements for them. Are they great reinforcements? No, but maybe you get some Cardinals devil magic of a player that comes through off of the bench for you. Um... So I personally think it would be a positive if they just went out and did something. But I think Cardinals fans would not be happy because it's not one of the big names available. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. I think Cardinals fans would be underwhelmed. And I also wonder how much the next three weeks would play into that. Like if the Cardinals do go on a little bit of a run here, does that change the answer? Do they then become real buyers? Or if they go continue to be right around 500, does that mean, you know, Cardinals fans are just eh. At that point, I don't know. I, yeah. I think the next few weeks are going to be fascinating to see what this team decides to do. It's one fifteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Speaking of big moves, if the Blues make big moves this offseason, it's probably going to be to fill out that top six forwards. What about the bottom six? We don't talk about that a whole lot, but it was the reason why, in a lot of ways, the Blues won the cup. Is this bottom six good enough? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We continue with our Blues offseason questions with our question today. Is the Blues bottom six good enough? We have spent so much time, Alex, over the last really two to three months talking about what the Blues can do to improve the top six. Who's going to be the top line left winger? Who's going to be the left winger on the second line? What does it mean when Vladdy Tarasenko is potentially not on the roster next year? What does that all do for your top six? Let's spend some time now, though, talking about what the bottom six is going to look like for the Blues next year. And let's start with your answer to that initial question. Do you think they have enough as is currently constructed? No, I don't. I really don't. And, you know, I go back to the last game of the season against the Colorado Avalanche and your fourth line was Clifford, Sanford, and Blay. Your third line was Hoffman, Thomas, and Bozak. Now, on paper, that third line sounds awesome, but it didn't work out. Think back to them winning the cup. Your third line was Maroon, Bozak, and Thomas. Your fourth line was Sunquist, Barbashev, and Steen. You don't have those names 
this upcoming season right now? I mean, like JR told us, who are your players on the third and fourth line right now? I think we all can agree. Oscar Sundquist, he's going to be protected. He'll be there. Is Barbashev back? Because if you don't protect him, he might not be here. He could be selected by Seattle. I don't see Kyle Clifford as an everyday player because he underperformed this past season. I don't know if Zach Sanford's back. I don't know if Robert Thomas is back. I don't know if Tyler Bozak is back. You have a lot of questions right now of what your third and fourth line looks like. Frankly, as much as we talk about the top left wing, there's like five spots in your bottom six that need to be filled. Damn, that's a lot. Um, I've got two that I feel like need to be filled. Well, who are who are the ones that are on there? Right I've now? got Sonny, Barbie, Thomas, and Clifford right now penciled in. See, and, and 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 I understand Thomas being there for you, but you just don't know he might be traded. But if he's traded, you're bringing in somebody else. That'll Correct. Be there. And the same with and the same with Arvin Barbashev. He might get selected if he's available. I just don't that's personally right. see Kyle Clifford as an everyday player. I think he's kind of a guy that comes in and out of the lineup. So to answer the question, no, it's not good enough because I'm watching what Montreal has done to go on this cup run. And look, I know their backs are against the wall three to one, but they have players who step up big time in the third and fourth line role. You got Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow for the Tampa Bay Lightning who are scoring like goals like crazy throughout this playoff run. And then you got Pat Maroon coming through once again. If you want to compete as much as you need that top left wing for this upcoming offseason, you need to fill two, three, maybe four holes in your bottom six to make sure you're competitive. I think a lot of this comes down to what is it, what do the Blues think of McKecker and Blay and Sanford? Because if the Blues still believe in those three players Which and are their potential, all free agents, if I'm not mistaken, although I think Sammy Blay might be under contract still. Sammy Blay is under contract for another year, but you do have restricted free agency for Zach Sanford. Um, and then McEachern has another year under club control as well. So Sanford's the one out of those three that you got to figure out. It's restricted, so you've got you got rights to him. What do you do with him? Is he a fourth line left winger? Is he somebody that can play in that third line role? Is he going to be responsible defensively, which is the problem a number of times last year? Is he going to continue making these turnovers in his own zone? What is this going to look like? And do they believe in him? They stuck with him through thick and thin this year. Are they going to continue to do that moving forward? Or was that his last chance at becoming an everyday player for the Blues? I don't know, but I think that's one of the first decisions. We talked a lot of, a lot about decision points this offseason. I think for, for the Blues and what they want to do, Zach Sanford's a big decision point. Yeah, he is. And look, Craig Berube played him a lot. And I mean, you bring up Mackenzie McEachern's name. Look at how many games Mackenzie McEachern played at the end of the season when he was healthy. Kind of shows you right yep. there that the fate they have in him. You know, Dakota Joshua, I think, is going to have a real shot at playing Clem Costin might be a third line winger for you to use him there. Um, You know, I personally believe they're going to try and bring Tyler Bozak back. So he'll be there. And then of course you got Robert Thomas. The problem I think is going to have a competitive third and fourth line to do what the lines did back when you won the cup. You got to have guys that you trust in any situation. Your third and fourth line, you didn't trust late in games. So you're overusing Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron. And when you're down by a goal, if you're overusing those guys, well, they're not going to be as competitive and they're not going to be as useful for you. What is the best role for Barbachev on this team? If we, if we assume that he's going to be back next year, and I hope that he is, and I think all Blues fans are hoping that Barbie's back, where do you want him playing? Because I do think he's a vital player for that. I do too. I'd love to have Barbashev and Sunquist on my fourth line because I think that's where those two thrive. Under is that enough minutes for for Sonny though? Because I would like to see him getting more ice time. Yeah, but if you look at the minutes that they had as a fourth line, the year that they won the cup, they played a lot. Like yeah. they they were very close in numbers with some of the other guys. That's the problem. You just don't have that right now. 
I personally think your best spot for those two would be the fourth line, but then where does Dakota Joshua play? Because he's not a third line center. But to compete with other of these teams, you got to have a fourth line that can exceed expectations. Like you got to have a line that other coaches look at and say, well, this is going to be a problem for us. And it's not the first line. So I think their best role would be the fourth line, but Oscar Sundquist's best role could be a third or second line. Cause remember the first game of the season against Colorado Sundquist was playing with Robert Thomas and they scored two goals in that game. So I think there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking, but you got to have guys who are ready to step up. And right now, Sanford wasn't able to step up. Blay wasn't able to step up. McEachern wasn't able to step up, nor was Kyle Clifford. So you got guys who need to step into bigger roles than what they did last season. I thought Blay was fine for the most part when healthy. The problem is he's it's always healthy. that disclaimer. Is he going to be healthy yeah. consistently? And if he can't be, if he's just an injury-prone player, he's got the hands. Jamie's told us all about those, and you can see it. He's quick. He's got skill for a player of his size and physicality. He just can't stay on the ice. Mm-hmm. And if you can't stay on the ice consistently, I can't write you in pin into my lineup every night. That's um, the problem right there, though. I can't write. Yeah. You can't write names in pen. You know what Tampa and Montreal do? They write the names in pen of who's going to be in the third and fourth line because you have those distinguished roles and they just didn't have those last season. You know, when as we talk more and more about the bottom six, it makes me think and I, I don't like saying this because I really like Robert Thomas. I've been a huge fan of his game and the style that he plays with makes a lot of sense for them to trade Thomas to get one of those top six left wingers. It really does. Because then you put Sonny, Barbashev, and determine who that right wing is with them on that third line. And then your fourth line, at least the startings of it, are Clifford, Joshua, and whoever you want on the right wing. And now you've traded Thomas for a big-time left wing. Now you've got basically one, maybe two spots left to fill in your roster. It just, things fit together more neatly in that scenario. But now you don't have Robert Thomas on your roster, and yeah. that stinks because we all like what he's, he's been able to bring. From the 636, Blay, Barbie, Sonny, Costin, Thomas, Sanford, Bozak, Joshua, Clifford, McEachern, they're 10 guys for six spots. Yeah, I understand that, but look, you don't know if Barbie is going to be back because of the protection situation. You don't know if Thomas is going to be here because of the trade speculation. You, Sanford. People were complaining about Sanford playing so much last season. Bozak might not be back. Clifford was in and out of the lineup for you. So as much as you want in McEachern, McEachern was healthy in the last 20 games of the season and maybe played two of them. The Blues bottom six is the Cardinals outfield for the last three years prior to 2021. That's a good comp. You got a lot of names. And they're going to do really well this year. Maybe. So somebody very well may have. Sammy Blake could have a 15 goal season. It's totally in play. It would not shock me if we get it to the end of next year. He's your third line right winger and he's playing really well for the Blues. Would not surprise me at all. It also wouldn't surprise me if you get to the end of the year and he's not even a factor into the lineup. Yeah, like that's that's the thing about these guys. And the same thing could have been said two years ago about Lane Thomas and uh, Harrison Bader, Tyler Rode, all these different guys that we've been going through and cycling through all of the players. That's what the bottom six is right now for the Blues lineup. They've got to find answers. Mm-hmm. So can Sanford be that? Maybe the blue seemed to believe that he was going to be same thing for Sammy Blay or Costin Jot, whoever your favorite player is from that group. They just need more certainties. Mm-hmm. And in the bottom six right now, they don't seem to have a whole lot of those. Yeah. And I think that's important. If you be a competitor in the central division next year is you have to have depth, strong four lines. You can't have 
one line you rely on like you had this season, another line that could step up here and there, and then two other lines that aren't even seeing the ice in the third period. you got to have four lines that any single given line can match up against Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon. If you don't have that, frankly, you're not going to compete in the Central. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. One last thing to get to here. This comes from the 618. Guys, if they lose Robert Thomas, they're going to need to keep both Hoffman and Schwartz. There's already too many holes for this team to lose multiple forwards in one offseason. I actually disagree with that. I'm not saying you you have to let all three go by any stretch. But if you lose Robert Thomas, you're losing him for a reason. You are trading him. You have determined that our best way forward is by trading Robert Thomas for somebody that we think is more certain that can help us in the top six. It's a reasonable decision to make. You then still have potentially Sonny as a left winger there. And now you've got one spot remaining. Do you want Hoffman there? Do you want Schwartz there? Or is there somebody outside of your current roster that could make more sense? It is totally in play that whether it's Brandon Saad, who we've talked so much about, or somebody else, there's another guy out there that fits more with what you need moving forward. Yeah, and look, there's a lot of names that will be on the market that can fill voids in your third and fourth lines that can be competitive for you like Blake Coleman's name has been brought up a lot who plays for Tampa right now he could be a third line center for you but you got to find guys who match the style of Craig Bruby you can't have Robert Thomas on the wing and Mike Hoffman on the wing on the third line because that's not what those guys roles are yeah they they need guys that fit more mm-hmm. and last year fit was a real problem for yeah. the St. Louis Blues with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in 15 minutes we'll cross things over with the fast lane but coming up next There was a news release, a press release that was sent out to Cardinals fans over the weekend that, Alex, I was frankly stunned by. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So what do we make of this email that I got over the weekend from the St. Louis Cardinals? Stop talking Ferrario about us on the radio. I and Tanner dude. Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Yeah, I got it too. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's Matt Carpenter's email address too, which is weird. Oh, that guy owes me money. Did you guys see the promotion that the Cardinals are running for the remaining home games? Yeah, the $6 uh, in the second half? This is crazy. So the Cardinals sent out a flash sale. I believe this began earlier today, if I'm not mistaken. It's six dollars to tickets or for tickets to any midweek games in the second half of the season. And those games would come against the Cubs, they Braves, Brewer. Did you I mean, the these Braves are, stink? No, no, no. The Braves. And also those are good Cubs. draws. Well, they both stink this year. Maybe, but that's a good draw for the Cardinals. The Cubs, Braves, Brewers, the Tigers. Okay, I get that one. They stink. And the Dodgers. With Albert Pujols coming back to St. Louis, what in the world is going on here? Because the Cardinals will do some flash deal stuff. These are $6 tickets that come with $6 loaded to the ticket, which essentially means you're getting a free ticket to go watch these games. They just want to get the numbers up a little bit right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I would be fascinated to hear from our listeners. Is this a pandemic thing? Like people just aren't getting out to the ballparks yet? Or is this fans making their voices heard that they won't put up with the way that the Cardinals have been playing this year? Because I, I'm i kind of stuck in between. I think it's more of the latter than the former. Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like it's a, it's a healthy mix of both. 
Um, because regardless if the team's not performing, I mean, we all know, like just going to a ball game is just, you're able to get out and just enjoy yourself, some beer, go out with some friends and just have a good night, right? Like it's not just about going to watch the product on the game. A lot of the people that go there just go to get out of the house and enjoy Mm -hmm. time out. But from the responses we get on social media and Twitter, when the team is struggling, I do think that there's a healthy group of Cardinals fans that are saying, why am I going to spend this much-needed money after a pandemic on a team that is underperforming this season. Because, I mean, yes, it's open to full capacity, but, man, I don't, that, that's a tough question to answer. I, I, I got to say it's a, it's a healthy mix of both rather than just one or the other here. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 469. Guys, they did this last season. Yeah, we were in the middle of a pandemic, though, last year. Like, that that, that was a little were, different. Well, than, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't do it last yeah, season no because fans. nobody was going they to the ballpark. They refunded all of them, apparently. Yeah. So, I, like, this... This seems different to me. Again, maybe I'm wrong here, and maybe this is just the way that it has to work now. But even if it is, that's, that signals a change in the habits by Cardinals fans or a change in the way the Cardinals fans are responding to the team. Whatever it is, when I see on here the Cubs, Braves, and Dodgers, that's what stands out. If they were doing this against the Tigers and the Royals and... Uh, maybe even Cincinnati, although that's that's been a decent draw at times. The Royals usually is too, though. Yeah, but it, like the Cubs and the Dodgers, yeah, doing this for those games is stunning to me, especially because those aren't like late in the season. You've got a Cubs game that's in mid July. That's that's when you typically expect a pretty big crowd out there. Uh, and, the, and those teams on their home field are sold out. Like we all saw the Cubs and Cardinals. That was, I mean, that was sold out, you know, and the Dodgers, the Braves, like they, they bring a lot of people to the stands. Um, I just, I got to think they're tied together, right? Like I, if I, if I just went through a pandemic and I have this money and, you know, I'm struggling to make ends meet, I'm not going to go spend money to go to a Cardinals game, especially a team that's playing bad. Now, if they're playing well, yeah, maybe I'm going to find a way to do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if the $6 deal fills the seats. Like I wouldn't if people don't sell out Bush because of this deal, then I think it answers more the latter, the portion of the question rather than the former of, oh, well, this is just because of the pandemic. I think if they don't sell out with this deal, that shows you that people just don't want to go watch an underperforming team. Yeah, I think this is as frustrated as I've seen Cardinals fans since I've been here. And I know that's not a a vast length of time, but I've been here in some lean years. <laughs> Maybe there's some cause causation there. Um, Man, the BKO effect travels I was here too? at Holy. the end of the Mike Matheny experience, and yeah, the, the Cardinals, the, the, you could look at the attendance numbers, and those might have indicated that things were going really well, but you could look at the seats, and it, it wasn't as full as it had been in the past. What you're seeing right now, when they're doing stuff like this to fill the seats, it's indicative of what's going on, and it It does seem to me like there is a frustration and almost getting to the point of apathy in some ways towards the Cardinals. Like right now, we're not there yet. I think Cardinals fans are still mad and upset about what's taking place on the field. If this continues for another month, if we get to the trade deadline, there's no additions and you start the month of August and the team's still playing like this, kind of meandering around 500, that's when you approach apathy. And that's that's the worst case scenario for any baseball club, especially here in St. Louis. How much do you think, too, the uh, lack of a move when we saw all the injuries come up plays into this, too? Because we started to see the Cardinals kind of, once Jack Flaherty's injury occurred, we knew what we were seeing. We knew we were going to see it was going to be a struggle with the starting pitching you had, which then leads to the play on the field. 
And then we're thinking, all right, well, they're going to go make a move. And then we get comments from uh, Mo saying, we don't want to salvage everything for this season. And then I think I think some of that resonated to some Cardinals fans that said, well, if you're not going to give everything for this year, then I'm not going to go this year. I'll wait until you guys give everything next year. I, I kind of wonder if the front office has, I don't think they've, they definitely didn't intentionally do it, but I think some of their comments on we're going to stay put, we don't want to risk next year for this year, I think some of that also led into some of this uh, apathy that Cardinals fans are kind of feeling. I think that's fair. Yeah. I would understand that if you're somebody that feels that way, I get it. I mean, I, I'm i just surprised because this is not typically the way that things go in St. Louis. I could see something. My hometown, Kansas City, like, yeah, this stuff happens all the time. They've got Buck Night. They've got what? all kinds Come of stuff on. going on at the they ballpark. give away a deer at baseball game? Not that kind of thing. Oh. Um, they've got, like, uh, anything that you could have that's a giveaway. They're doing it in Kansas City to get 10,000 fans in the stands on a Tuesday. Like that, they, that is happening. Hell, they built a mini golf course in that stadium. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Built a mini golf course in There's Kaufman. a mini golf course in Kaufman <laughs> Stadium. In the outfield. It's great. It's it actually wonderful. does look kind of nice. You should put a pool like the Diamondbacks do. I'd go for that. You can race against players in the outfield. I mean, anything you want, you could probably do it in the Cardinals outfield or in the, in the Royals outfield. Um, until Matt Carpenter stops getting starts, I'm not supporting this team. Man, you're not going to a ball game just because of <laughs> Matt Carpenter. Be uh, Damn. It, it's just surprising to me. I didn't think that this was going to be happening this early and certainly not against those teams. I, I know there are people on our text line that say that this happens every year. It does. There there are games that are tough to sell out if you're the Cardinals. But it's not noticeable either. Like even the games that are not are hard, hard to not sell are hard to sell out. It's not noticeable. I can't imagine there's been another time in recent memory where the Cardinals would struggle to sell out a game in which Albert Pujols is in town. That that is the thing yeah. that really struck me. I was there for that Angel series, and that place was, I mean, shoulder night, to shoulder. Every night that he was here, and him coming back with the This is the Dodgers. It's Mookie Betts. It's potentially Corey Seager, uh, Cody Bellinger. Some of the biggest stars in the sport are coming to town to play against the Cardinals in what very well may be an important series down the stretch. And the Cardinals are doing a flash sale with $6 tickets that include $6 preloaded on them for you to spend once you get to the park. That is different. All right. I'm going to be going to a lot of Cardinal games this year. I'm going to be taking advantage of this. Absolutely. You kidding me? $6 to go watch the Dodgers play the Cardinals? Yeah. Heck yeah, oh, I'm in. Okay. I want to go to a series where they might win. Okay. Well, that <laughs> will be none of them. I'm Tanner Hendrickson. Oh, I'm great. Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. show check it out on the podcast page it's all presented by i promise 101 espn.com the free 101 espn app crossing things over after a holiday weekend with our buddy and former blue superstar defenseman jamie rivers jamie what's up man not much how we doing guys so we uh, did you guys solve all the cardinals problems here today no we no. actually didn't solve many issues for him today no why what's wrong with you guys we're out of answers it was an off day yeah, the answers are getting to be few and far between. I'm getting close to the Jamie Rivers patent it blow it up. Uh, you know what? I'm kind of going the other way. Yeah, Nolan Arnato kind of changes that. We got we got our guy. We got the golden goose. Yeah, I, here's a thing that's going to be interesting to me. Is Nolan Arnato on record and this paraphrasing just basically he expects moves to be made to improve the team at the deadline. Now, what his version of that is compared to what John Mozeliak's version We'll see. So I'm anxious to see how that plays out. And I'm also anxious to see how they approach the rest of the season because 
you know, we're going to talk about on the fast lane, but I'm at the point where I'm like, your positional players are fine. Fine. Not great. They're fine. You have some great players that are in the mix. But your pitching staff, I would just go sign every old gray beard that you can. That's that what can, they've been doing. That can shove for you. Four innings, three innings here, whatever it is. I think Oviedo back down to Memphis. Let him get groomed properly. Let him develop. Libertor, Thompson. Like, you look at your rotation in a year or two with Jack Flaherty. You're like, okay, now this is something I can wrap my arms around instead of right now throwing the big man into the fire and just kind of like, oh, my God, we're going to pull this from here and this just to, to be, what, eight games, nine games out right now and finish, what, five games back? What do you win then? Well, you were competitive up to the end of the season. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter if you if you can <laughs> that be might dominant not be the case this year. No, if you if can be dominant in, in the following seasons, though, I don't see why you wouldn't think about. Yeah, but can you though? Because the names that are out there that could help you dominate are going to be a lot of money, and will the Cardinals spend that money? Uh, good point. Um, but they're going to be a lot of money for everybody in your division too. The yeah. other issue is you're eventually going to run into a roster crunch. Um, the only spots that you really still have to play with, if you're the Cardinals, are you can take Giovanni or uh, not Giovanni Gallegos. Junior Fernandez. He just got BKO'd. <laughs> you, you could send Junior Fernandez down. <laughs> There's not really a whole lot of other flexibility with this roster. I can create a spot. No, that's why I'm saying just ride it out. Just ride it out. And and if you have to make some minor moves to some lower-end prospects or sign a guy that's been left off or or, or DFA down to the minors, just finish out the season. Just ride it out. With the current roster, not adding more people. No. Okay. I wouldn't. I I was about to say, if you want to go sign other guys, you basically got one guy. Junior Fernandez is the only one that you can really play with right now. I'm just saying. You just, it's, I don't think the Cardinals are in a position to go win anything this year. Therefore, you have to strategically place yourself to win next year and the year after and like the coming years. It's becoming more and more difficult to argue that point because there was a point. Two and a half weeks ago, probably, before this 20-game stretch against losing teams, I would have fought tooth and nail that I think the Cardinals have what it takes to still compete in the National League. Mm -hmm. How can I sit here with a straight face and while they're healthy, at least on the position player side of things, when they go into games against Atlanta, who had been struggling at that point, Detroit, who's terrible, Pittsburgh, who's awful, Arizona, who's terrible, and Colorado, who has not been good this year, when they show us against those teams that they are non-competitive for the most part, well, then how am I supposed to come on here today and be like, yeah, they can compete with the Padres and Dodgers and Brewers and no, they Mets? Can't. They can't. They, they don't Let's have just it. be honest. They cannot. And the display in Colorado that, that really got me was halfway through the series, I was like, have I been time warped back a year? Because this is the team that... You know, a year ago, if you scored a run or two on them, they were they were done because they didn't have any offense to support it. I know they had the big outburst in extra innings with the, with the uh, what they put up ten against color, but that was one inning. Yeah, but they put six up in the tenth. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So apart yeah. from that, you didn't do anything offensively in the most offensive well in ballpark last, in the in, in the league. And last year they tried to hitch their wagon to the comeback Cardinals, where they'd be down, but they'd find a way to come back. But that's exhausting. We all know. Yeah. And by a, after a month of doing it, which you did in April. You get fatigued from that, and that's where you're at right now these last two months. Yeah, and the Cardinals had a nice little stretch there, but for whatever reason, they haven't been able to recapture that magic basically ever since. Jamie, I did want to ask you two things real Uh quickly. Uh, One, will you guys be talking about your new feud that you have with Tony Patrico today? Yeah, this one kind of came out of nowhere. 
I, I was notified of this like late on Friday. Somebody's like, hey, Patrico's talking crap on you. I'm like, Patrico? Like Tony Patrico? About me. I'm like, what is he talking about? Probably calling you out. Said I he heard this you. morning. He really calls you out. He called me out way. saying something about uh, they had some game going on and somebody you could beat in a running race or something. And they said, oh, I could beat Rivers. And now it's like he's called me out. Now he's going to beat yeah. me in a 50-yard sprint or something. Mm-hmm. Well, if you need a sub for that, BK can fill in. I uh, Jamie can take care of this one. Oh, I know uh, he can. Yeah. I was somewhat, Have you seen these legs? I was somewhat yeah. surprised <laughs> yeah, yeah, Come on. with the call true. out, to say the least. Um, but then, you know, we'll talk about it. But then it made sense. I mean, if you're Patrico, uh, why wouldn't you call out a guy, punch up. a guy who's, you know, almost 50, who's gray hair, who's balding, who's had three knee surgeries, bad ankle, bad back? Why wouldn't you call out that guy? Oh, don't big, lower the expectations. Yeah. You, no, died no, no. you died in Russia. You died in Russia. You got to find the saying, biggest guy like, in the schoolyard and knock him out. He, he thought he went through the scouting report and he picked the right one. He, he didn't, though. He clearly didn't. Frankly, Second. those guys, if they need to call anybody out, it should be BK and Ferrario every day because they Not can win running. those. Running, I, I think I can take them. Uh, I'd running, pa- I think I'd pass I got out. I, don't, I can't do that. Um, last thing for you. You're a businessman, first and foremost. Correct. When well, you, you got see, something for me? When you see the, <laughs> <laughs> the Cardinals have sent out a uh, press release over the weekend that all of their midweek games for the second half of the season, including series against the Cubs and the Dodgers, are now $6 tickets. They have $6 tickets available with $6 that you can then use in the stadium mm-hmm. as basically in-stadium cash. Yeah. What does that say to Jamie Rivers, the businessman? Well, the businessman, it tells me that your margins are so much higher on everything else that are at the ballpark, including parking and your concessions, that who cares about the $6 ticket? We get you in. I'll give you six Cardinals bucks. Here you go. What are you buying for six bucks? Oxygen? That ain't happening <laughs> at Ballpark Village. What does it tell you about their attendance right now? Well, I think it also it, it does tell me a story that they'd like to – um, they'd like to boost attendance, and they haven't gotten to that sellout margin yet, whether it's people who are still a little nervous, tentative, not sure, maybe the team's performance. I don't think overall the team's performance is the issue because the Cardinals have been bad before and still sold out. Uh, they're not bad often, but they do have Nolan Arenado. They do have Wayne. They do have Yada. They have things that are worth going to the ballpark to see. I just think it's a situation where they need to get that little boost of attendance from people. And once they get back into the ballpark, see how much fun they're having, you know, the smell of the ballpark, all that. Hey, a little buzz on, yell at some players. I think that once they do that, they think people will come back. Seriously, $6 ticket is a third of parking. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> the ticket is the easiest thing to get. Here, I'll give you a free ticket. Jamie, what else coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Well, we're certainly going to talk about the Cardinals and the mystery that is their struggles against weaker teams and then their success against some of the better teams. Uh, we're going to talk about Alex Reyes as, a, as an all-star, which is incredible news. We're going to talk a little bit about the big rig, Pat Maroon, and you know how interesting his road has been to getting to where he is right now. And we're going to have some fun. And we're going to talk about the Patrico situation. We're going to dive deep into that one. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Powered by I Promise.